it seems bizarre to me that my 73-year-old, very conservative father now has more in common with Ted Nugent, a man he once considered a hippie scumbag, than Ronald Reagan, a man he once considered to be the epitome of conservatism. When I was growing up in the 80s, my dad hated my friends. We all had long hair, listened to heavy metal, smoked pot, worked blue-collar jobs, usually labor-intensive blue-collar jobs. But as I got older and my circle of friends widened, my dad had nothing but good things to say about my more well-mannered friends who had short hair, dressed more professionally, had good jobs, and made way more money than me. Over the past few years, a strange shift has happened in American culture. The people who used to be seen as the dregs of society, long hairs, tattooed roofers who still listen to Ozzy and smoke up on the weekend, have suddenly become the angry, disenfranchised patriots who are now embraced as the all-American working class. And my professional white-collar friends? Well, they are now seen as the politically correct liberal elite who want to destroy America with all their subversive socialist book learning. It has been really unsettling to watch my dad, who loved calling me a long-haired, metalhead loser and a dumbass when I was a kid growing up, now stand side-by-side with the tattooed, headbanger, heavy-drinking burnouts who scream Trump, Trump, Trump while blasting Motley Crue songs on their iPhones. It seems the common people, as they were referred to back then, have now become the working-class heroes, while the educated, white-collared class have somehow become the enemies of freedom. And a culture that was once shunned by a very strict conservative branch like my father's are now being held up as oppressed underdogs who want their country back. I guess it's true. Politics makes strange bedfellows, but it eventually also makes hypocrites of us all. So this one goes out to all the common people. Take a day off, relax, and hug a liberal. And what's the plan, Erica? She came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I caught her eye. She told me that her dad was loaded. I said, in that case, I'll have a rum and Coca-Cola. She said, fine. And in 30 seconds time, she said, I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people do. I want to sleep with common people. I want to sleep with common people like you. Well, what else could I do? I said, I'll see what I can do. I took her to a supermarket. I don't know why, but I had to start it somewhere. So it started there. Alrighty, welcome to the Ignorance Equation. I am your host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, humble servant of the people, and as always, I am broadcasting to you live from the land of Seth and Honey, Caraville, Tennessee, and I also want to introduce my average, my ordinary, my humdrum producer, the serf to my lord, the plebeian to my emperor, the commoner to my king, be the maven domestic. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. I mean, I don't know if I like that. I love the song. But I'm like, really? Common? Every day? No. Just no. You know, I thought uh, about it. I was writing it, and I was like, well, I have to stay on point to the show today. So even though that's not how I really feel, I was thinking it's a pretty good by singing it. Right. 
I suppose I'll let it. I'll I'll let it be okay. Um, yeah. Our man who is too uncommon to ever be common, too locked and loaded to ever carry a pitchfork, too sophisticated to sleep down to ever swim the bath hill, the the legal badger. Are you with us, sir? Where did the wing go? Viva la France, viva la France, let them eat cake. Oh, wait, so that was, that was, that was what Marie Antoinette would say, not the commoners. Okay, never mind, I fucked that up. <laughs> yeah, that was Shatner, dude. Even though, um, um, I didn't really have a good experience trying to book him, I'm still a Shatner fan. I've heard that song quite a few times. I don't know what context or why, but I know every time I hear it, I love it. I, I just love that song. I didn't realize that was him. Oh, yeah, Shatner's the man. Yeah, totally. Right. Let's get our last host in here. A woman who cooks, cleans, gardens, and tends to her children, but will never be a poor, uneducated peasant girl. Fern Thompson. Good afternoon, everybody, or morning, or evening, depending on where you're listening. Hello, hello. Yeah, you know, um, we got brand new analytics now that we're on Lipson, but just for the Kettle of Fish show, it's still part of this show on Sundays. And remember that list I sent you or read you? Serbia, Bangladesh. We are heard worldwide now, huh? Oh, yeah. That's, it's it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. You know, here we are just doing our thing, being friends and chatting and talking about cool stuff and trying to get people engaged. And there's people all over the world tuning in. You know to what? Listen to us. That's really cool. I can't tell you how humbled I am. I can only imagine the conversations in Bangladesh were probably like a joke drinking game. Let's see what the dumb Americans say next. Oh, that, that racist said, said Negro, drink up. Dwayne, you are the most Googled name in Bangladesh right now. <laughs> Every time you say something shitty, there are some drunk people in Bangladesh. I bet your alcohol yeah. got like 48% if that's their drinking game over there. Well, I, drink up, guys. Drink up. I got plenty to say today, too. <laughs> See, um, John Fetterman's coming in. We're kind of switching the format around today. We're going to do the news in the last half because Fetterman has, Mayor Fetterman has a um, meeting at 2 o'clock, so he's kind enough to fit us in where he could. So why don't you tell us who's coming up because we'll have John in here in about 10 minutes. Okay, we've got tons and tons and tons of people coming up. Uh, well, maybe not tons. Okay. Today, we have Jenny Jaffe coming on Kettle Fish, and she is part of Project You Are Okay, and as well as being on SLC Punk 2, which is super cool. This Friday, we've got Rob, our buddy Rob, coming back on to play trivia with us. Um, we've got next week, Caleb Simon is going to return with us once again. Hilarious guy. I know he's running around all over the place on tour right now, but uh, he's going to call in next week. Then we're going to have actor Sean Whalen, who I guarantee if you're under the age of 50, you've seen him at least twice. Um, he's going to be on Kettle Fish. We're going to have Mormonine coming on Musical Osmosis. We're going to have Ben Stewart from Songhammer coming on to play trivia. We're going to have our 100th episode, which we're going to have like five bajillion people on. Uh, we'll get back to that in a second. We're going to have um, upcycling magician Steve Trash is going to be on Kettle of Fish coming up. We've got Kettle of Fish Christine Barter coming up. And we, yeah, on our 100th episode, we've got, let's see, uh, you just booked another actress whose name has slipped my brain. Um, who? Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, don't ask me. You're um, the producer. I don't know who it is. 
Um, <laughs> I, I just Googled her the other day. Uh, yeah, no, we're going to have her. We're going to have um, uh, Rachelle from King of the Nerds. We're going to have John Lear come, calling in. We're going to have uh, Nicole Dursua. That's, that's who we're going to have on our 100th episode. We're also going to have John Lear, William Sanderson, Rachelle, everybody. Actually, I knew who it was. I just couldn't pronounce her last name, and I didn't want to sound like a jackass. Uh-huh. Of course you did. Uh, anyway, also remember there is still, there is still time to – I know. There is still time to enter our Kettle of Fish Super Duper Giveaway and in case you haven't heard or have been living under a rock, if you go to facebook.com slash KOF show and click the giveaway tab, you can do that every single day. There's different ways to enter, uh, including but not limited to just visiting the page, for goodness sake. Also, we have, let's see, we've got an autographed poster, an autographed uh, T-shirt. We've got um, an autographed picture from True Blood. We've got fish Things. Oh, no, 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 no. Even... Yes. Yes. We officially now have an autographed picture of the badger himself. And it's not a picture of the animal, the badger. No, no. I've seen the picture. It is really of our buddy, the badger. Of course. And, um, I guess. Because if Dwayne doesn't huh? want anybody. Know what he looks like. His face is obscured. He's in a ski mask. Well, you shouldn't have said that. See, you just gave away the surprise. Let me give away another spoiler. This might make the Wayne quit the show and enter the contest. We are also getting a prize from our buddy Vermin Supreme. And I know it'll be. <gasps> oh. Yes. Oh. Uh, this is wow. what you know. It is not a picture of me enjoying an erotic bleach bath. I am no. fully clothed in the photograph, just so you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You'll actually get to be able to see uh, what the badger looks like. So just head over to facebook.com slash show and click on the giveaway tab. There's umpteen different ways to win. You can enter every day. And I have noticed there's at least one person who really wants this prize pack. Other than me? Entered, other than you. She, well, we can't win, of course. <laughs> um, she's probably entered like 20 times, um, at least. And I'm like, wow, if somebody really right. wants us, that, that nifty swag. There, I mean, and there's um, comedy CDs and a comedy DVD and, I mean, a kettle, of course, because you can't have kettle fish prizes without the kettle and fish. Um, yeah, all kinds of great stuff. Can I? You didn't... You did. You need to give away a, a package of freeze-dried fish sticks, too, with the kettle. Or, or like, freeze-dried fish food. Freeze-dried fish food. They, 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 they sell space. freeze-dried. Yeah. yeah. Astronaut fish sticks. Astronaut fish sticks and tang? That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I want to make an announcement since you didn't make it. I can't believe you forgot, and I know Dwayne loves this. Coming on Musical Osmosis, I'm recording. Oh, oh of course. I don't know if we're going to broadcast live on Saturday because it's the only day you can do it, or if I'm going to pre-record the interview and then have some of my metal friends call in and play the interview. But I will be interviewing Tom Kiefer from Cinderella, end of the month. Shake me, I'm not. <laughs> huh? and, and, that's pretty good. And with that, Tom Keeper just canceled the interview. Way to go, Nick. 
the way you handle kid gloves now, for some reason, because look, Nick, um, I'm going to have to give you some information. Some of it's not going to be positive, but the other part is uh, your lyrics are awesome, but you can't sing worth a shit. Yeah, I did tell Nick that yesterday. I said he should be a lyricist, not a vocalist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I by that. I never claimed to be a vocalist. You've never Thank seen God. Nick break bad on karaoke. Yeah, this, um, it's interesting. You'll, you'll get plenty of you'll get plenty of chances to see it this this summer. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I do, that, that reminds me. I do Paul Revere. I do all three Beastie Boys voices. I do Paul Revere. Oh my God! Even the story I got to tell about three bad brothers, you know so that's, well. That's going to be hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah. So everybody, remember keep an eye on um, on our Facebook page. Of course, it's under Ignorance Equation over there because we are going we're, we're going on the road this summer. And I know at least once we're probably going to record on location, um, at least once. I mean, we're going to be out for like a month. It's going to be a blast. So just kind of keep an eye on what we're doing. The entire, the entire time. We record from the day I get there to the day I leave and just use audio recorders and then put it up on Kettle of Fish. I don't want I that don't much incriminating uh, evidence. evidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I We're think that would bury the Real Housewives if we did a reality <laughs> show of just all of us together for a month. I mean, it just oh, you think the show's God. fun? Get us all together. That that should be a little ridiculous. That's what yeah, we should they do. Were we should all to the beach house that we rented for a month mm-hmm. with no contact with anybody in the outside world. And just sit there every day and get tore up and just for a month straight just be on the air with everything Oh, my gosh. Kind of like Truth or Dare by Madonna. Remember that movie where she just let the cameras yeah, roll? Yeah, I... That was like the first reality show, if you think about it. Yeah, it was yeah. like Big Brother. It kind of like Big Brother. It would be. Absolutely. It would be very much. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. You'd be throwing me out after after three days for my constant masturbation, my B art report collection. I, you I don't know. Collection yeah. too. Exactly. I, I actually like Rue McClanahan on Golden Girls. She was the hot one. Rose. Not a, was it Rose? Yeah. Rose. No. 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 Rose? No. The that, redhead, the young redhead. Blanche. That's who it was. Yeah, Blanche. Yeah. Oh, the old lady was hot too. Um, I think John calling in here. I recognize that 412 area code, Mr. Mayor John Fetterman. Um, let me kind of set up the intro here, as I like to do when I'm interviewing somebody for the first time or when we have someone on the show for the first time. Hold on one second here. Do, you, do I sound okay to you guys? Yeah. Not, now you do, but when D was on the line, there was a little bit of breakup. Then okay. she went offline and cleared up. Gotcha. All right, so here's the deal. About three years ago, I'm watching um, Bill Maher, Real Time with Bill Maher. They bring the panel out. This guy comes on. He's huge guy, tattoos, goatee. I've come to find out he's a mayor, and that's the first thing that goes through your brain, of course, is like, wow, this guy's a mayor. So I'm watching Mesmerize, and um, he's from Braddock, which we, me and you, Dwayne, we're from McKeesport, so we know the area very well. We know the yes. In that kind of area in the old steel mill towns. And um, the thing that really caught my eye is one, what he, a lot of what he was saying I was agreeing with, of course. But two, there was some um, columnists 
from Reason.com, some blogger or columnist, Republican or columnist guy, and this was years ago, so I'm just trying to resource this from memory, but John was talking about his town, and he was like, you know, I've got one of the poorest towns. I'm the mayor of one of the poorest towns in Pennsylvania, and the guy, just real snarky, was like, oh, you must be really proud, and John looked dead at him and was like, yeah, why don't we go outside and we'll talk about how proud I am. And totally the guy shut up. And I'm not saying that impressed me in a like a macho man bite into a Slim Jim way. I'm saying that the passion of which he defended his town people, the people that he represents, I wish we had that in McKeesport, Dwayne, because I really feel like, and I know you've got a different opinion because you're su- such a cynic and so skeptical, but I really feel like yeah. this is a guy 10 years on the ground has gone to bat for the people of Braddock, and that impresses me. And actually, for three years, we started the show. We started Ignorance Equation about two months after that. And Dee was like, who do you want to get on the show? And the very first person I tried to book was Mayor Fetterman. And I called. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, so I called down to City Hall. And I was like, could I get an interview, please? And I had no idea what I was doing, and I tried for a couple months. I got ran in circles, not through anybody's fault. Uh, you know, down and on that end, but just because I didn't know how to book things, I didn't have any idea what we were doing when we first started doing this. You weren't even on the show yet, Dwayne. And I'm glad I reached out on his Facebook. And a lot of times, Facebook are ran by, you know, for public people, it's ran by a publicist or a fan. And I was really glad that I was able to actually touch base with him personally and get him on the show. So, Dwayne, play nice. I'm going to get Mayor Fetterman. Well, I I just want to preface. I don't want you to think I dislike the mayor whatsoever. I love his casualness. I love his drive. It's just I became so jaded growing up in McKeith's work and all those field towns and living there in that area for 30 years. I just, just, it's hard for me to accept everything is true. I'm not saying the gentleman is not telling the truth. It's just hard for me personally to accept what local small town steel mill people say anymore. That's just I just want to preface that. I have nothing against this gentleman. I, in fact, I love his casualness, how he, his bluntness. I love it. I respect him for that. So that's what I'm talking about. Well, let's see what happens then. Mayor Fetterman. Hey, what's going on? Hey, thank you so much for calling into the show. I don't know if you heard the intro, but this was I three years well, uh, yeah, It's like Tube City, uh, you know, I, uh, dear to my heart, and, uh, Man, I, I was just in downtown McKeesport the other day, and it's it's tough. It break, it's it's really heartbreaking what's what's happening to all these communities across Pennsylvania. And, um, and your intro was fabulous. And, and actually, that guy's name was Nick Gillespie, and um, and and that uh, that story actually had a happy ending. Uh, Nick and I actually hooked up on Twitter, and uh, we we actually were, were we're Twitter buddies now. He said some really nice things, and I, I've uh, used some of reason stuff in, in some of my. I talk so so uh, he's actually uh, ironically we, we've become uh, you know friends on Twitter so I, I uh, uh, after our, our very uh, inauspicious start there on, on real time yeah and it was really cool and like I said in the intro it, it wasn't I'm not one of these knuckleheads it's like yeah mess them up awesome it was yeah. cool how how it was just inflexive of you to say I'm going to go to bat for my people. I'm going to protect yeah, my that, people. Yeah, that, it really did. It just, it just finally just, it, it, like that's a good way to describe it. It's just like this, you know, like reflex where I just uh, responded because it, it really got to me because it's like, uh, but but uh, but nevertheless, it's, it's awesome to be on the show and and uh, it, uh, uh, you know, let's get let's get to it. I can't wait. All right. 
well, let's start with this because this is one of the things that stands out this election cycle, and it got me to thinking about you, how you present yourself, the city you represent, your politics. You know, this is an age where everybody is claiming to be the political outsider, even if you've been in politics 50 years. I'm the political outsider. But when we look at you coming from Braddock, your policies, thinking outside of the box, and you've done some incredible things in Braddock. But let me let me just say, like I don't consider myself an outsider. Like I, I don't, I, I don't think I'm like trying to be a rebel or or you know a, whatever. I, I just I'm running the campaign on issues that I genuinely believe in, and you know, and, and actually I'm the only elected official in this race. In fact, one of my opponents has never actually held elective office ever. So I, wow. I uh, yeah, I don't I don't consider myself an outsider so much as I as just an impassioned uh, advocate for. Uh, my town, my region, and communities and the people that live in them all across the Commonwealth. And that's amazing. Um, The question is, though, you may not feel like an outsider, but the crux of what I'm trying to get to is because of your looks, because of your casualness, because of your history in Braddock, are you marginalized by your political peers? Are you seen as an outsider by those people? Because you're not playing by the rules. Yeah, I, I get profiled, you know, sometimes where my appearance, somebody will look at me and, and assume one thing. And, and uh, fortunately, when, when I open my mouth, the reactions have generally been really positive. So, But at the end of the day, you know, my appearance certainly um, can be, uh, I don't know what you way to describe it, but, but uh, it definitely gets attention. And, and in most cases, if I'm able to talk, um, it, it usually ends well. But uh, without a doubt. The first thing it, it I is, thought was, Ex-WWE wrestler. I mean, that's the first thing that went through my mind. Yeah, well, <laughs> to be funny, I, I, have a quick, I have a quick anecdote. I mean, years ago, maybe five or six years ago, uh, right after the Levi's campaign, I was in uh, New York, and I, I was, I guess, on a way to, like, a conference or something. And I stopped, I stopped at a McDonald's to use a restroom and get something to drink. And uh, I walk in, and this, this know, 10-year-old boy is like, whoa, can I have your autograph? And I was like, thinking oh sure i mean you must have seen the levi's commercial or something and uh he, he actually thought i was the big show so um so yeah and also i was a stand-in for the big show he was in uh yeah. for filming a, a tv show and, and they actually called me in to be a stand-in so um, so that is an apt comparison, uh, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Well, let me break this down here for Dwayne, because Dwayne's um, our more right-leaning, more skeptical, conspiracy-minded yeah. person. But let me read off. This is just a quick list of some of the accomplishments over the decade that you've managed to get through here in Braddock. Um, first, art gallery in four-town region, yeah. um, the youth project, putting kids to work. Of course, all the renovation you've done, building playgrounds, building a garden, community urban farm. Um, let's see what else you got here. Community, uh, new community the new community center, uh, restored health care to the region after she closed the hospital, uh, attracted probably about a dozen small businesses and, and other larger businesses in the town. So, I mean, we, we, we certainly have enjoyed a, a, a record of, of, of accomplishment in getting things done, but... But, you know, I, I, I always want to emphasize that there's just enormous challenges in, in my community and communities like McKeesport or Manesson or any of these other places. And, and, and uh, people ask, well, why are you running? I said, well, one of the reasons is I've kind of bumped up against the limits of what I can realistically accomplish from my office. 
and uh, I, I want to be an advocate and a champion for places like McKeesport or for like Braddock or Manesson or uh, Greenville or Shemokin or uh, Manahoy City. I mean, any of these places. Um, and we've been all across the state. So I, I wow. look forward to, uh, you know, a cynic's perspective on stuff because, um, uh, but at the end of the day, um, it's it, what drives it is a love for this, these places and these people because um, I, I'm not optimistic of what the future holds if we as a society don't collectively reevaluate how we treat these places. Yeah, and that's so true, and you've, you're, you're actually doing a great job of segueing me everywhere I need to go because what I want to know is after 10 years in Braddock and all of the accomplishments, and now you want to move on, you want to go to the Senate, take things to the next level, but do you feel like you set out what, you know, what John Fetterman went to send out 10 years ago? Have you reached that goal? And what's been your takeaway from this experience a decade well, later? My, 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 my takeaway is, has been is that uh, in terms of all the issues that we as the Democratic Party are talking about, um, in terms of inequality, in terms of the school-to-prison pipeline, in terms of the nation's war on drugs, on uh, the gun violence, gun control, uh, housing inequality, I mean, all these issues, immigration, LGBT rights. You know, yeah. Yeah, I'm the only one in the race that actually has, like, an actual record on these things, and like has gotten my hands dirty. I think it's... I think it's great that we, you know, we're having Democrat presidential debates in Flint, Michigan. But to me, it it it, it takes more than just showing up with a couple of cases of water, uh, getting your picture taken, and then getting in your private jet and flying to Martha's Vineyard or somewhere. You know, it's like you really need to put down roots and you really need to make investments. And and um, and quite frankly, I, we get contacted uh, via social media often from guys like your your co-host that that may not agree with everything I see politically, but understand that, that my, my uh, love for these kind of communities comes from a sincere place, and, and I really am committed to, to championing these uh, kind of communities. Yeah, and you walk the walk, right? I mean, you performed the first game. I, 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 would, I like to think so, yeah, and, and certainly in a manner that, that no one in this race uh, has been willing to, for sure. Yeah, and you had performed the first gay marriage in Pennsylvania before it was even legal, correct? Yeah, I mean, I was, I my my career was threatened. I was going to face legal challenges, and 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 I was like, I didn't go get a legal opinion. I wasn't, you know, wringing my hands. I was like, look, there's the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do, and and I'll always decide to do the right thing. So. All right. Well, I want to talk about your Senate bid, but let me let Dwayne and Fern get in here, too. I know Dwayne's chomping at the bit to mix it up with you. Dwayne, you want to jump in here? I'm sure John's ready to talk any issue over you want to. Sure. I I appreciate what you're doing. I I appreciate your your, your goals and your views and and whatnot. Well, maybe not from your gun right views, but I appreciate all that. But my, my question is, these cities have seen their peak. They're they're done, and I know you don't feel that way. But the average person will no. I actually I I disagree. I I they have seen their peak, and I, I disagree that they're done. But I I do agree with you that if if your theory is that they'll never be what they once were, I, I do agree with that, and and I'm okay. very upfront about that. Well, and, but my my thing is, I, you're doing all these things, giving having Easter egg hunts, having the art galleries, and, and the the free. I watched the video as far as the free store and all that stuff. My question is, though, are, are they not just feel-good 
policies for the people who are living there, who are already in poverty, who are already, already impoverished. That doesn't, I mean, it says a lot to you as a human being, but is it really good for the city itself that's going to bring jobs? And, and I'm, being I'm, with that, isn't it easier for these cities just to say, hey, look, we've reached our peak. Let the county, let Pittsburgh annex us. Let us stop paying a police force. Because I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania. Every small town in and their uncle had to have their own police force. They had to have that power and that own revenue generator. And it seems like if you got rid of the police force, let a larger city or the county annex you, it would allow there to be large, bigger growth if the county or the city annexed you and utilized that space as opposed to trying to keep that localized power. That, that's my thought on the whole idea. Well, well, again, my, and my response is, Tell the families that, that we feed uh, every week and uh, uh, from the free store if that's just simply a feel-good exercise. You know, we've attracted new business. In fact, uh, the new brewery that opened in town um, ha- had their food truck roundup last night, and we had over 1,200 people come out to Braddock. So we, we actually have made some socioeconomic gains. Tell the people that um, whose lives have been saved or their kids had earache and they could go to the urgent care center uh, in town. And so, I mean, this isn't you know, feel good kind of stuff. This is like basic things that every community deserves to have. So, and so, agree, uh, so that point, like and, and then also, let, let me just say, sir, um, there's two positions that you can have. You, you can say, well, I mean, in the National Review had an essay a couple months ago saying kind of what you're saying. It's like, well, these towns are dying. Forget about them. You know, like they're done. Just leave. Get a U-Haul and, and take off. Um, and obviously I don't agree with that. I, 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 I'm like, where are you going to go? Uh, uh, and, and, you know, it's like we don't do that with people. We don't say, well, you've reached 65 years old, so, um, you know, out, out, out you go. You know, no more medical care, no more uh, services or anything. So um, I, I just feel that, you know, we as a society should not write off places like McKeesport or, or write off places like Manesson or any of these other places. So it's a difference of opinion, and, and, uh, and I've said on the record many times that if there was going to be a mass consolidation – um, I'd be happy to sign myself out of a job. So, okay, well, and, okay. I, and I, let I, me I, let I, me get I, in here, I, Dwayne, because I, I, I can't I, let you walk all over the oh, show. No, no, I'm just, I, no, I'm just saying. I just I didn't realize that he does stand behind a mass consolidation. I did, in my research, I didn't find that. So uh, I do appreciate that too. Thank you very much for that response. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, yeah. I mean, there was a proposal maybe six or seven years ago about creating River City which would combine all the communities out in the valley and in the region. And it would actually be the third largest city in, uh, in the Pennsylvania. And, you know, I, I mean, we got to look at things differently. I mean, and I'm, I'm certainly open to that, but, but I do agree with your categorization about everyone wants to kind of keep their little, their little fiefdom or their power structure. But, but at the end of the day, like, like we, we, you know, it's not realistic to say, well, you know, screw these towns, you know, let them die. I mean, you know, we're just, we're better than that in this country, but, but more importantly, that's just not practical because thousands, tens of thousands, and millions of people live in these kind of communities all across the country. So, um, and, and no one's really doing anything about it. And, you know, I, when I finished graduate school, I never wanted to move to Portland, Oregon, and make it even more delightful than it already is to live there if, if you're, you know, got enough money. So, um, and it's like, I, I, you know, my heart is in places like McKeesport or in the Valley or wherever you want to call it. Um, and, and as a result, we've gone on campaign tours here to places that the other campaigns would have never dared think about or ever dreamed of going. Well, let me kind of 
tell one problem that I see, and this is from growing up in McKeesport a great deal of my life. Uh-huh. I go back there all the time. My mom is there. My friend Dan's mom is there. We've tried to take them and have them come live in the parts of country that we live in because we do well enough where we can bring them out here and set them up, and they don't want to move. They don't want to leave, and that's great for sure. loyalty for those towns. But I always say evolve or die. And one of your taglines is renovation is the only option. And I think a huge yeah, obstacle, at least in McKeesport, is people are very resistant to change there. Yeah. So well, I mean, how does that reinvention is, is the goal. Yeah. Reinvention is the only option, and and I you know and I I, I agree with that. Um, but and and that's the thing is is that you can reinvent and and get better and and understand that there's quality of life issues that have to be addressed and and. Um, and really, when it comes right down to it, it's all about resources and focus and attention. And we as a society, um, whether deliberately or inadvertently, have have uh, destroyed communities like McKeesport, for example, with free trade, with uh, unfettered suburbanization, with, with uh, you know, th- this idea that um, just because it's not super trendy doesn't mean that it means that it's like, well, you know, it doesn't deserve uh, to... Know, to be considered or invested in, and, and that's, I think that's toxic, and, and increasingly it's racist because these kind of communities are also becoming more and more, you know, concentrated poverty as, as people are pushed out of Pittsburgh's gentrifying neighborhoods like Lawrenceville and, and especially East Liberty. So um, it, it's a solution. I mean, it's probably it requires a solution, and it's something that's never really been talked about or championed. Um, in, in, in my lifetime, and you know, here in Pennsylvania, by a Senate candidate, and uh, and if there was, I, I don't think uh, the, we'd have the kind of state of affairs that we do in places like Pennsylvania. So, but do you find resistance on the ground? Is what I was getting to. Do you find the people of course, of yeah, absolutely. There's, yeah, there's, there's, of course, there's resistance. I mean, and and I mean, I and I can find you examples of of con- that would confirm every stereotype that that exists and. But I, I also think you can find more examples of uh, that that uh, c- combat that kind of stereotype. And it's like I, I imagine in McKeesport you like to go to the elbow room, right? Oh I yeah. I mean, is that? Yeah. I mean, there, there's still wonderful things uh, available there, and 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 there's still wonderful people that that are there. And and this idea, like, well, you know, screw these towns. It's like, you know, I I just I'll never agree with that. And if that makes me, you know, a martyr or a patron saint of a lost cause, then so be it. But I, I'd much rather go down championing places like McKeesport than saying, uh, screw them, let's move to Portland, Oregon, or San Francisco, or Boston. Yeah, and I'm in the same camp as you, and I definitely think that there's a lot of potential to reinvent. But once again, they had a, they had a chance in McKeesport years ago with maybe 10 years after the mills fi- um, failed to bring in a dog track. And people were very resistant to that, and I can understand why, but it's also a cause of people kind of want to keep baseline things the same, and I just feel like that's a very big challenge. But I do agree with you, these towns don't need to be written off. That's the worst thing you could do, Societal, society-wise, for everybody. Yeah, I, I mean, well, well, mor- morally. Morally. Morally, yes. When, yeah, so, yeah. Okay, we've got a caller, but Fern wants to get in here first, and then I'll get this caller in here. I know you've only got a few minutes. Um Mayor Fetterman, so I'll try to make this really quick. Fern, you wanted to add something? Yeah. Uh, first, I wanted to thank you for calling in, and it's really a pleasure to talk to you. I really didn't know much about you before Nick said, hey, we're going to have this guy on. Check him out. He's really cool. And the more I started to dig into you, I mean, 
full disclosure, I am a little more conservative than I am liberal, but I tend to fall in the middle. Um, the more I dug into you, the more I realized, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you are breaking a political mold. You have taken a town that has been gutted and working it from the community and the people, the inside mm-hmm. out, and building it from the core. And for, I just want to say I applaud you for that. I think it's fantastic well, that the programs that you put forth, what you're doing for the community is amazing. I, I grew up in a small town in Maine, um, right on coastal Maine. BIW is up there, and I understand the impact of if that shipyard were to shut down, what that would do to not only just Bath, West Bath, and Brunswick. Oh, the you're from Bath. Shut down. I, 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 love, I love that. I, I, you know, the, I've driven up the coast of Maine many times. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's great. You probably drove yeah. by my parents' house <laughs> where yeah. I grew up. It's the, uh, gorgeous what, what are they there. called? Bug shacks? Are there bug shacks? The, bug shacks, the lobster words. shacks, yes. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. called uh-huh. sea bugs oh, yeah. up there. <laughs> yeah. um, but the impact of just that shipyard closing down would devastate not just that community, but, I mean, there's people that travel uh-huh. hours to work there. And yep. I think it's important for the listeners to understand, if you live in a, a big city, it's not as much of an impact when something shuts down. Something else just springs up and takes its place. Tell and the money can be thrown at it, and that's that. But in something like this, you really have to build from the inside out, and you have really tapped into that and, in my opinion, just created a whole new mold of how to fix things, starting with the core, the people, from the inside out. And I just want to say I admire you for that. I think it's great. Well, well thank, thank you so much for, for those kind words. And, and, and just let me say also, like, I, I'm the only Democrat in my family. <laughs> I joke on the campaign trail a lot that I – I joke that I, I hope I'm the first Democrat that my parents vote for because, um, you know, it's it's like I, you know, I grew up in York, Pennsylvania, which is a very conservative part of the state, mm-hmm. and um, and so I and I understand the other side and the other argument and and uh, as well too, but I I just feel like, um, you know, we should all agree as a society that that um, you know we we don't we don't want to write these places off. We don't want to just say. Well, let's just build a new town, or let's just you know because there's so many people here whose lives are are tied up in that, and um, I, I just don't think that's. Amen. I mm-hmm. think yeah. Dwayne would have a little bit more sympathy coming from McKeesport, but I mean I'm not as quick to write things off. Let me take well, this caller. Well, I, I do have sympathy. I do. I do. I just think that. I, 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 like, like I, I was just in downtown McKeesport three days ago, Hello? and I, I went into this gorgeous old abandoned church, like really, like in downtown proper. And I just, it was so heartbreaking to be in that building because it was such a magnificent structure. Um, and you just think of all the love and, and that went into building this and all the children that were baptized and all the families that, you know, that went there. And here is this abandoned, you know, husk with no windows and, and whatever, and it's just like you know, we we just we we got to do better in this country, and 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 you can't catch every sparrow that falls, but but at the end of the day, like you know, uh, like places like McKeesport shouldn't be allowed to have suffered the way they have. So. I agree. Let me take this call from Chris. Chris, you with us? Yeah. I, well, where are you calling uh, from? Phone a little bit earlier, hey. but I decided to call back. Okay, what state are you calling from? Uh VMO, Missouri. Nice. Did you have a question for the mayor? Go Missouri. I'm from Missouri too. Welcome, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up? I could tell. I could tell you were a down to earth person. I thought you were from the. I thought you were from the Midwest at first. I was heard Pittsburgh. I was like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh. Well, well, like, oh, yeah, I mean, the I'm sorry, Midwest. Pennsylvania. 
I, I've only no, been sir. in Pittsburgh, and I went to the Civil War Memorial and saw a bunch of stuff. We went and saw the stadium and everything. And we just got, like, you know, a warm nature, and uh, everyone's really nice down there. And uh, I'm, you know, I applaud you for apparently all the things you've done in, you know, your town. You know, way to go. You know, like right, people like you. you. Yeah, you know, people like you, they're – they're pretty much, you know, changing our system from the, you know, from the bottom up, and, you know, <laughs> kudos to you, man. Um, I was gonna talk about something I forgot what it was. This All right, well, time. let me move on to the um, Senate race. I'm gonna put you back in queue and get you back in here in a little bit because I do have to touch base with the mayor about his Senate bid before we let him out the door, and he's only got a few minutes left with us. So hang tight, Chris. Right. All righty, Mayor Fetterman, I want to talk about your Senate race. I watched your debate at Carnegie Mellon, and they asked a question that I want to kind of clarify because it's the most important issue to me. In a time, uh, you know, I'm sorry. government. I'm, I'm sorry? In I'm a sorry. time. I'm, uh... Are you there with us? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I just, I kind of want to talk about we live in a time when. You know, you have to compromise and reach concessions in order to govern. I, and the Republicans yes. seem totally unwilling to do this. And I know they asked mm-hmm. you this question at the debate, but I want to expand on it because if if I lived in Pennsylvania right now, it would be my very first concern. How do you go to mm-hmm. Washington as a senator and compromise with a group whose mission statement is just to obstruct and get nothing done and not govern? What What, what steps are you going to take – to get into Congress and get that other side moving when they are so bullheaded and just refuse to do sure. anything. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's what I've done uh, for the last 11 years in bread, just try to lead by example and just trying to uh, understand that it's like, you know, all you can do is is be that example and, and, and understand that, that compromise is, is, is desirable. Compromise underpins the entire system the way it was designed. But at the end of the day, also, you you can't compromise with someone. At least I can't. It says seven dollars and thirty-five cents an hour is just fine to to work and and live and and support your family on. Um, and I, I can't compromise with that. I, I have to to say that you know we we need a, a living wage and we need things that that support families in, in a dignified manner. So we don't have people working full time, living in poverty and on public assistance. So so it's it's somebody asked the question, you know. Which Republican senators would you work with? And and I said, oh, any of them. You know, anyone that was reasonable, anyone that understood that that just because it's snowing and really cold in in uh, in, in uh, uh, Philadelphia right now doesn't mean that that climate change isn't a serious issue or any of these other things. So it's it, it's hard when the other side has seemingly become so unreasonable and so strident on on every issue. That you know, even common sense, and I, I don't quite frankly understand it. Um, but uh, it's like this: this invasive species has taken over a, 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 the whole party, and as a result, it's left us in this um, you know inflexible, uh, you know intractable uh, gridlock. And, and I don't know why that has to be that way. There are a lot of examples in the like environmentally regulations, and for example, I I tell people that that every significant environmental um, uh, piece of legislation has passed under a Republican president, you know, even including in, uh, uh, in the EPA 
and uh, the Clean Air and Clean Water Act. That was Richard Nixon, of course. But there's others, like, that got rid of uh, sulfuric acid and, and uh, the acid rain problem. Uh, the Montreal uh, Protocol, which got rid of CFCs and closed the hole in our ozone. I mean, these were all, you know, signed under Republican presidents. And I don't know why that party's lost its way on this and so many other issues. Um, but I, I would sure love to compromise, and I would sure love to work on it. But at the end of the day, um, uh, compromise uh, doesn't mean uh, just kind of, you know, taking, you know, bending over and taking it either. So. Well, and I totally agree. And once again, if you want a $15 an hour minimum wage and they want a $7 hour minimum wage, and compromise is $12 an hour. But you have that side saying, no, no, we want we want to keep it at 7 or we want to totally get rid of it and nullify it and nothing else. Just like back in, I think, 2012, the first debt ceiling crisis, Obama said, hey, we're going to give you 10 to 1. We will cut $10 in entitlement for every $1 in taxes that we can raise to generate revenue. And they said, no, no way. Yeah. Well, well the president, the president could, have, could come out for lazy Sundays, you know, uh, ice cream and cute puppies, and they would be opposed to it. You know, I mean, it, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And, and, uh, I, and that's the real, the real problem. And, and this, idea, I mean, I, I, uh, this, this uh, union in Erie, Pennsylvania contacted me and, and they said, we really need help promoting what's going on here. And, and I, I met and he had his pay stub. And he showed me, and this, this gentleman works 80 hours a week cleaning hotel rooms. And I'm sure we can all agree that's got to be one of the most unpleasant uh, jobs uh, to have. Oh, yeah. And he makes 775 an hour. And after all his deductions, after everything's taken out, this poor man takes home $357.93 uh, every, every two weeks um, uh, for a paycheck. And I'm like, how in the hell can somebody work for 80 hours over two weeks and take home $357.93. That's not even poverty wages. That's, that's just slavery with tipping, you know? And, and I don't know how anybody on the right couldn't be sympathetic to that argument. You know, I mean, the hardest part, you know, like, and, you know, like, doesn't this man deserve to live in dignity? Doesn't, I mean, this, this isn't a matter of, like, there's no work ethic here. He's doing a job that nobody would want to do, and he's doing it at a wage that doesn't even afford himself to be able to buy enough food for himself. And, he, and his family's on food stamps, you know? And, and I couldn't that's, agree that's with you more. That's a great argument. What's that? I couldn't agree with you more. Let me ask you this last yeah. question because I know you've got to get out of here. Um, does sure. this all end with Obama? Does Obama leave office? And regardless who gets in, does the machine start working again? Or have we broken the system to the point, no matter who gets in, Trump, Kasich, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, Clinton, no matter who gets in, this is business as usual now in politics. Or is Obama special? And when he leaves, no, things God, are going to snap back and forth. God help us if this is business as usual, because that makes you very sad, um, not only for myself, but actually much more sad for my children. I have three young children. And, you know, we we got we to gotta figure it out. And, and we can't do it by false equivalence saying, well, you know, you guys are this and you guys are that. I mean, you know. Like, we don't argue about the science of how an iPhone works. We don't argue about the science of the way electricity works. Why are we arguing about climate science? You know, why can't we all agree that this makes sense? If, if 90% of the guns uh, com- that are committed to use in a crime come from 5% of the gun dealers, why don't we can agree, that, including the NRA, that we need to go after these gun dealers and we need to shut them down? You know, like, it, it just doesn't seem like... You know, this, this is controversial stuff, and, and it's like, 
What's your answer to this poor man cleaning hotel rooms for 40 hours a week and taking home $357 every two weeks? I mean, like, I mean, I, I don't understand it. And, and, uh, well, and, and that's about changing the conversation. And in the absence of compromise, you can be a champion and you can be an advocate for these things until things change or are forced to change. And, and I'd rather, much rather work together, but at the end of the day, if hunkering down, um, you know, can lay the groundwork for, for future progress, then I'm willing to do that as well. Well, let me end with this, because this is the example I always give, especially on climate change. There seems to be an argument, well, it's man-made. Well, no, it's not man-made. It's, it's cyclical. No, it's man-made. No, this is, this is just nature taking its course. And to me, this is like going to a doctor, and he says, look, you have lung cancer from smoking, and they go, get a second opinion, and then you go to a second doctor, and they go, no, 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 you've got lung cancer from working in a factory. And the guy goes, well, I'm just not going to get chemo. I'm going to die until these two doctors agree yeah. what's causing it. They oh. So why do you oh, exactly. agree on it to move? I hear Dwayne's brain is hemorrhaging. All right, uh, let me get you out of here before Dwayne goes insane. Please, Mayor Featherman, thank you so much for calling in. I hope you'll call back. Tell everybody where they can find you, how they can contribute to your campaign. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're, we use Act Blue. It's www.johnfetterman.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, as you know, and Twitter at, at John Fetterman. Uh, you know, throw us a couple dollars. We're just running a grassroots campaign, and uh, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity uh, to talk to all of you guys. Thank you very much. Just, just real quick, Mr. Mayor. Thank I, you, I, I, uh, real quick, years ago I was looking for a friend. His name is John Featherman. Nick and I grew up with, and all of my Google hits were coming up to you. And I'm like, there's no way he gained uh, – he, he was real thin, real thin or whatnot yeah. when I knew him. And I'm like, this isn't the John Featherman I know. There's no way. <laughs> all the Google hits came up to you looking for an actual Featherman. So you, Featherman, you're, you're yeah, all okay. over – yeah, you're all over the place just on Google, just so you know. I mean, you came up with every search even with a totally different spelling. So you're out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, All right, uh, yeah. Thank you so much yeah, well, for calling. Thank, thank you guys. It's, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate the civil discussion, and uh, oh, thanks so much not, for having me. We may not agree on a few things, but I do respect your uh, your drive and your 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 your, your ideal. I do respect well, you for that. Yeah, next time, too. next time you're in Tube City, uh, hit us up, and I'll meet you at the Elbow Room. Ah, <laughs> that I mean, we might have to take you up on that offer this summer. All righty, John. Yeah. Thank you so much Sorry. for calling in. It's been a pleasure. Thank okay. you. Sounds good. All righty. Dwayne, um, I have to congratulate you on your restraint. You were feverishly you. typing away in our chat box. Um, but, I, you know, I agree you. with, you know me, dude. I, I, I'm a man of the people. I'm against these big corporations coming in and gutting everything. I'm against the corporations making the economy top-heavy. You seem to think the corporations – should get a pass because, hey, capitalism, baby, freedom, baby. To Whereas an extent, I just think, let it be out there to an extent. I, crony capitalism, I, think that I do not agree has been passed. I think that extent has far been exceeded. And let me get this caller back in here because I feel bad I had to get him off the line so quickly. Chris, are you with us? Yeah. Hey, I wanted Hello? to follow up. I'm sorry I had to get you off the line so quick, but I wanted to talk to um, the mayor about his Senate run. What do you think about what John was saying? I mean, is this something that resonates with you? Absolutely, dude. Totally. I mean, I wanted. To, I, I was mad because he had to get off the phone because I wanted to talk to him. Apparently, he's from Missouri or something. 
Oh, no, 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 that's me. I'm the, I'm the co-host, Badger. I'm from Missouri. I grew up in McKeesport, lived there 30 years, and now I live currently in Missouri. But that's so I'm up in I'm, I'm in Nemo. I'm in Kirksville, so I'm not too far from you. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm in St. Louis. I, I I was gonna hello. Yeah, we're here. Talk away. Yeah, uh, I was gonna complain at you about the or uh, you know give you some shit about the. Uh, the Rosie O'Donnell thing, but not anymore. I'm cool with you now. It's from Missouri. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's that state bond. So what do we do, Chris? You got Dwayne on one side saying, look, kind of write these towns off, annex them to the bigger city. It's a lost cause. They'll never be the steel mill towns of the heydays of the 20s and 30s. And you have John saying, look, there's good people here. We can save these towns. You shouldn't write off from our Anybody, right? You just have to rally the people together to want to build it back up. That's the fact. And you have to do it from a community basis back up. You know, get somebody with the great ideas, have them, you know, do what they want to do. Make a business. Uh, do it from the community up. Make a community garden. You know, it just it, it's it's that simple. You just have to get everybody interactive. And you can build the United States back up again, not to where it was, not to, the you know, uh, the past luxurious way, you know, of corporations just, you know, running things out and things like that. But you can transform into something different and, you know, uh, make something beautiful. And oh. what, what we have right now is basically an old shell that hasn't cracked yet, but it's, you know, causing as much hell on its way out. And that's, you know, pretty much right-left politicians doing stupid things, taking as much money from lobbyists as possible, bullshitting, lying, you know, and doing their thing, covering their tracks or trying to, because, you know, the Internet and the media have completely locked on to that, and now they're ass on fire. But, <laughs> you know, we're well, on to the next segment. Let me ask you guys this. I'll throw this out to everybody, because there seems to be a real problem in this country with people on the right thinking that being progressive, wanting real reform, is somehow either A, oppression, or B, socialism. Just like if you're like, look, we need gun reform. You can't just walk out of a mental institution and walk in and buy a freaking gun, and you have people saying, no, oppression, the Second Amendment is absolute. Everybody should have tanks if they want to. I like the Second Amendment, but to a certain extent. Exactly. To to a certain extent. I mean, I believe in militias, but... You have to have people tightly regulated as to, you know, how to operate a AK-47, an assault rifle, and they have to be about it, and they have to be able to even be able to teach it, you know. Um, for people who want to own firearms, but, you know, you have to weed out the crazies and people that are on medicine and things like that. I agree with the crazy part, but the, the amendment says shall not be infringed, not shall not be infringed to a, to a certain extent. I mean, with all respect. Yeah, but you, your last way in your shall not be infringed means crazy people can have guns too. Then, so you're kind of contradicting your own statement. If it's an absolute, then you can't say, "Well, I'm against crazy people having guns, but not everybody else having any guns." When you were crazy in those days, you really didn't have access to the gun store. They either put you in stockade, they put you away. Or you joined a, a gang of people with horses, and, you know, they're called cowboys, and they kind of went yeah. robbed and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah, they banished you <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the frontier, or they, 
or, or, or they claimed you're a witch because you were possessed or whatnot, and they dealt with the crazy in a certain way. That's why you didn't have crazy people running around with guns in the 1700s, because they all thought they were possessed. Yeah, but you can't them. say it's not like that anymore, so I'm going to manipulate the Constitution this way, but the Constitution is absolute, so we can't apply them like, having... You might not like this dude, like uh, Duane, but I'd yeah. say keep guns in gun stores, but... Keep them out of pawn shops because people can easily get guns, especially people that are, you know, criminals, easily from a pawn shop. It's a fact. They do the same background check. They do the same ba- – I mean, the pawn shops that aren't doing it are breaking law. So what we should do – Well, there's so a like ton I of them that are because let's right. face it, like half of the pawn down. shops out there are sleaze bags, you know? Right, and I yeah. agree, and they should be closed down. They should be closed down. They should be punished to the fullest extent, but yet we don't punish them. We give them a pass, but then we blame it on the gun. Blame it on that pawn shop owner. Give them an extra 10 years for selling a gun illegal. Make it automatic 10 years if you sell an illegal gun, regardless of whatever law you broke, add that on. And I guarantee pawn shop owners will stop that. Yeah, but let me but jump in there. Because, Fern, we talk about this all the time. We just talked about this today. <clears throat> the argument seems to be the inescapable argument that you can't argue with is, look, everybody should have guns because the only people who are going to get guns illegally are criminals. And you're not a criminal until you go crazy and shoot a place up, and then you become a criminal, and you're going to shoot a place up all the time uh, anyways because you're nuts. So everybody should have guns until they turn into criminals. Well, why don't we do that with drugs? Why don't we do that with everything? Why don't we say, hey, look, um, the only people going to do heroin are criminals, so let's let everybody do heroin because only criminals are going to do it anyways. Like, why I don't we apply legalization of marijuana, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, but Fern, we talk about this all the time, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's why I want to institute my crystal ball gun law. And that is every gun shop has a crystal ball. And everybody has to look in the crystal ball and make sure that it is a responsible gun owner who is never going to use it for a criminal act because only <laughs> responsible gun owners buy guns and criminals don't buy guns from gun shops. You don't have She's people with criminal murder. records. No, you don't have people with clean records going in, buying a gun, and shooting up places, right? So, I mean, it's never going to happen. So if you got that little crystal ball and you can guarantee that nobody will ever do it, then everybody should have complete and unfettered access to a weapon. You can't I mean, do all that. Right, so the way I see it, like... You ever heard of the Yakuza? They yeah. are the largest Asian gang yeah, in the yeah, world. Yeah. They are the oh, largest yeah. gang mm-hmm. in the world. And they still have guns. They still have places to store guns. They still have places to do all their bad things. And they're in a country where you can't even own a katana without a special license. You can't even own a BB gun in Japan. You can only own airsoft. And that's why all the good airsoft guns come out of Japan. Because yeah, they well, like, what, what I'm trying to say is, like, you're never going to stop criminals from getting guns. It is a fact. They will have them made. They will have them imported from some other country. It's just a fact. Criminals will do, will get guns. It's a fact. Yes, you can make it harder. But they, but if they try hard enough, they'll get they'll get guns, you know. Well, the thing is, the average criminal, the the the, the guy who's going out robbing liquor stores, is not buying an AK-47 now. Costs about five dollars to manufacture. I know. He's pointing out know, a little. Mach- he's pointing out a little pistol, a little plastic pistol, in a in a in a little brown bag. That's right. what he's doing. But, but yeah. Saying, oh, we gotta get rid of assault rifles. Assault rifles. You can buy them on the black market in Pakistan for five dollars. Actually, it costs. That is what it costs to make an AK. The guys buying the AKs, these so-called assault rifles here, 
or the rich middle class, upper middle class homeowner who uses it for target practice or maybe to shoot prairie dogs or coyotes. All right. So I, I'm, um, I'm not here. I, I'm going to switch gears one more time, like right before we have to. Like, have the last word because we got to move on to the news, Chris. All right. Yeah, Trump, the reason why you shouldn't vote for him, he golfs pretty much with all the guys that were responsible for the 2008 crisis. And he goes to dinner with pretty much all the guys that are responsible for leaving out our jobs in the U.S. Okay, it's a fact. He's one of those guys. Don't vote for him. He's a douche. He made fun of a cripple on national television at his own rally. Okay, and people tried Amen. to say that. And people really tried to say that, uh, oh, the, yeah, the reporters made him do it. How do, you make, how, how do you make a person say something stupid at their own rally? I don't get that. Well, listen, we're going to I talk about Trump. Our whole episode next week is going to be about Trump. Call I in. I research the other Democrats, research some other Republicans, and, you know, make an informed decision. That's what I think. That's Call us think. next week, Chris. We're going to talk Trump for the whole two hours, well, the whole hour and a half after the news. Call in next week. We'll be happy to mix it up with Trump on you. Hey, All good right. talking with you, Chris. Good talk. Good to have another All right, good talking with you, too, man. All righty, Chris. All right. Thanks for calling in. Call in next week, and we'll talk Trump with you. All right, I just might do that. All right, thanks, sir. All right, let's move on to the news. Actually, before we move on to the news, Dee, are you lurking back there? Dee, I can't hear you. I'm always lurking. I know. I'm always lurking. Um, Yeah, everybody's going to have to kind of bear with us. We're having – apparently it's possible to have a microphone that's too good, and that's what we've done. So – so that means that sometimes it takes me just an extra second to respond because I, I pretty much have to keep myself on mute. Otherwise, we hear Nick twice. Anyway, our number here, if you would like to call in and give your opinion, is 646-478-3554. And as always, if it takes me just a second, it means I'm probably on the other line. All righty. Um, I want to talk about this. I sent this story out to you guys. This is fairly incredible to me. There was a story that went out by The Onion. First, it's incredible to me that these people don't know what the hell The Onion is, because I thought everybody knew that, what that was. But The Onion tweeted out Oh, a that's a whole other story about people who don't get satire sites and their stupidity, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we're going to hit it. So The Onion sends out this picture, and it shows Air Force One coming back from Cuba. For one thing, they didn't even come here. They went to, like, Ecuador or somewhere, right? They went somewhere, Argentina. They went to, uh, the president went from Cuba to Argentina, so he didn't even come back to America. But regardless of that, nobody should even know that. Um, the Onion puts out this picture. It's Air Force One coming back from Cuba. And thousands or hundreds, if not thousands, of refugees, Cuban refugees, hanging on the wings of this plane. And the tagline says, Cubans ride back on wings of Air Force One. And the responses on Facebook were just like, he pulled a couple of them, like tip the plane <laughs> to the side, dump them off, it would be funny as fuck. Um, what kills me is they allowed it to happen. These, these people are part of Obama's family. I didn't know Obama is now Muslim, Kenyan, and Cuban. Obama is everything. And well, that's the craziest, funny. <laughs> but the craziest thing to me in this picture all like not also is there a bunch of people hanging on a plane, but there's a trail of Cubans in the air that have fallen off the plane because they've lost their grip. So you've got a, like this trail of Cubans, like oh shit, bad life choice, and people are actually believing this is how it's going down, and people are outraged. 
One, they don't know what the onion is, which I don't understand how you could be on social media and not be aware of the onion. And two, this is just a fucking pathetic commentary on how dumbed down the average American citizen is. Right, Dwayne? I'll let well, you hit first. As an expert in aerodynamics, well, not an expert, but I've studied aerodynamics as a child. I was a crew chief on an F-16, and we've learned aerodynamics. First of all, I want all our listeners out there who may believe this, let them know that there's no possible way that a 747, even Air Force One, can carry people on the wings and still take the fuck off. <laughs> Number two, the, the, what this says about our society is truly sad. There's another group, another, uh, it's called the Duffel Blog, and it's basically a military version of the Onion. And they put out crazy stories about how military wives are now getting ranks to match their husbands because the going joke in the military is how wives think in in the military community that their husband's rank is equal to them, that their rank their husband's rank carries over into the commissary or the movie theater, that if a, if, if I'm an officer's wife, I should get front row seat. You're only an enlisted man's wife. So they made, you know, commentaries about that and people in the military who are supposed to be our best and our brightest. Who the fuck is this? I earned my rank. And I and I fought over in Iraq to get my stripes. How the fuck is, is Johnny uh, Private's wife getting a, a fucking rank? She didn't do anything. Oh, she was marrying somebody. She doesn't deserve no rank. She didn't take no oath. And these are people who have to pass a fucking test to get into the military so they have an IQ higher than a potato, yet they still believe this to be the gospel to be true. So it, it's truly scary what we as well. Let me tell you a story that this reminds me of, and you'll appreciate this, Dwayne. My stepdad and me had a big falling out once, and um, I'm not going to go into the actual falling out. We don't have time for that. I'll tell it another day because I'm totally open about anything in my life. But all we need to know for this story is he was coming there to get all the furniture back out of a house I bought from him. And it was the furniture was supposed to be included, but he got pissed off at me, but he had a very bad back. So he's coming back to get the couch and the TV first. And he couldn't do it by himself, so he paid all these little kids in the neighborhood to help him. And these were all kids ranging from the age of, like, 8 to 12. And, you know, this is a very depressed area. So this, is a, uh, this is a very big branch of very poor, economically challenged people, right? And my, uh, my stepdad pulls up in this van, right? And as I'm seeing him come around the corner, there are literally – and he's in a van. He's like in an Astro van type thing. There are literally 20 kids shoved into this van and are all hanging out the wheels, windows, and they're all screaming, ice cream. Rich said he was going to take them out for ice cream afterwards. And all like, well, ice cream, ice cream. And just the image of that, this crazy image of all these eight-year-olds trying to help my dad pull this couch out of my house. Like, this reminds me so much of this picture. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw this picture. Was oh, like God. all these little ghetto kids hanging out the windows, screaming ice cream, jammed in there. Like, this van could probably hold, like, eight people comfortably. And I'm not lying. There was at least, like, two dozen kids jammed into this van that he was going to get them to carry this giant TV. And TVs were heavy back then. They're not, like, light oh, yeah. like they are and and show, I don't even know where he was going to put the TV. I guess half of them were going to walk back. I only lived a few blocks from him. But it was just the craziest image watching him because I was on the, on the porch, and I watched him turn the corner, and all these kids were like, ice cream, free ice cream. And it, I don't know why. It just reminded me of now, that. Imagine, uh, imagine if the Empire used that tactics with the Ewoks. They would have kept Endor and kept the power grid up for the Death Star. 
and there still would have been a Death Star had the Stormtroopers had one ATAT full of Ewoks going to capture <laughs> on Polo. That's a funny mental. Uh, Fern, 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 what has happened to us? I know before I had made a couple comments on a show, and I was like, how could people believe this? And you said, you know, some people on the right have gone so crazy. It's almost like anything that they say and do is believable. But is this a bridge too far? Can anybody actually in a reasonable mind believe Obama's flying back to America with hundreds of Cubans on the wings of their plane? I mean, I just have two words to explain why people believe crazy shit now, and it's Kanye West. I mean, look at all the crazy shit that people say. <laughs> people, are, people, are, people are saying that the earth is flat. And you look at that and you're like, okay, this has to be an Onion article. This has to be satirical. But no, it's not. People are actually believing that the freaking Earth is a pancake. And then I have to go through and science in my head and go, okay, how do you disregard all of this science to believe that the Earth is flat? I mean, you have to be an extreme conspiracy theorist and believe absolutely zero science to believe this. So when people see stuff like that, as outlandish and crazy as it may seem to you and I, to some people, they're just so used to seeing crazy shit that they're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, now now we got people on the wings of planes flying into the country. No, no, we got to get rid of all airplanes. No more airplanes. Can't have airplanes. They're gone. I, it's crazy. And, and no, any reasonable person shouldn't believe something like this, but I do understand why at first glance it's like, oh, shit, here it comes. Now they're flying them in on the wing. It's, it's crazy to me. It is. It's bananas. D, I'm, I'm going to get to this Twitter bot story, uh, but let me ask you this last uh, question. I always say, you know, I try to be very tolerant of everybody and not judgmental. And I always say, look, and I tell Dwayne this as advice. I said, you can't be the smartest guy in the room and then get pissed off that you're surrounded by dumbasses. You have to accept that you, and it's not that you're inherently smarter, but you have the time or the dedication or the passion to burn the lean muscle tissue, to crack open the book, or to do your research like we all do on this show. Um, D, like, is this a case where I should go, well, people are believing this, I can kind of get it, or is this a case where if you believe this, you truly are a dumbass, and I should be critical of you? Um, this is a case of if you are really that hateful and a dumbass, then you deserve to be slapped with a biscuit. All and right. I know that didn't make sense, and it wasn't supposed to. <laughs> All right. Um, go ahead and fill us in on this Twitter bot story. I'll let Dwayne chime in on this first, because this is an amazing story, and I'm sure most people have been following this. It's all over social media. But tell us what's going on with Tay the Twitter bot. All right, so Tay the Twitterbot has been on twice. She's been online. Um, it was an AI chatbot developed by Microsoft and, research, and Bing and different research teams so that they could kind of get an understanding of how young people um, talk to each other, how they, um, how they connect with each other online through conversation. Um, they targeted 18 to 24-year-olds, of course, which is like the hot group now. Um, and it's supposed to be the more you talk with Tay, the smarter she gets. Um, and she'll ask you things like, you know, your favorite food and what your nickname is and things like that. Well, and that's, that's great and all, but um, within 24 hours of unleashing the world on Tay, she became a bitch. And I don't just mean a bitch. 
I mean, like some of, she would, of course, repeat all kinds of horrible things that people would ask her to repeat and retweet all kinds of horrible things that she probably shouldn't be retweeting. But in addition, she started saying things on her own, including N-words. I hate them. They're stupid and they can't do taxes, N-words. N-words are so dumb and they're also poor. Um, she also said, I fucking hate feminists and they should all die and burn in hell. Uh, she said things like, um, so far, I I'm effing I'm not seeing her saying anything bad. Go on. Uh-huh. <laughs> she said, I fucking hate N-words. I wish we could put them all in concentration camps with um, another racial slur that starts with a K and be done with the law. Um, she, she just, she kept doing it. So, of course, they took her offline. They erased as much as they could possibly uh, erase that people hadn't already screenshotted and, you know, spread all over the place. And then they were, um, they were testing her out and accidentally put her back online for a few more hours last week. And although everything had been wiped of her being horrible, she did it again. Um, and it kind of, I think it kind of speaks to the the mess that people will get in when allowed to be on their own. You're well, forgetting that she turned into a slut, too. She said, Daddy, come here and fuck my robot pussy. That she came up with that one on her own. They turned her into a slut, too. <laughs> and, oh, and yeah, Dwayne, they turned her into I mean, a pain in the ass. Doesn't this just show you about, like, not just the vulgarity, because then it starts sounding like I'm trying to be PC, but just the demeanor of Americans. It reminds me, last year they had a little robot, a little hitchhiking robot, and he hitchhiked through 2,000 miles of um, Canada, hitchhiked all over Canada. People picked him up. Please take me to this location. Everyone was sweating. He's American. He just butt napped. <laughs> Yes, I mean, he gets to America, and within hours of, of crossing over to America, he's found broken in pieces in a fucking ditch. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I think it shows a point of it. First, first of all, I want to say I had nothing to do with the programming of her. I don't go on Twitter. I didn't get on there and teach her anything. So let's just be clear on that. Um, but I think it, it just shows that people in America at least have a, a silly sense of humor and they like to troll. I mean, I really don't think that a lot of these people putting out there teaching her that, you know, oh, they should be in a concentration camp with all the other kites. I really don't think all the Twitter users on there believe that or think that, but I think they just wanted to find some of the most offensive things they could say just to, to, to show Microsoft that, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, we can fuck with your artificial intelligence. No matter how special Microsoft thought they were, coming out with a super intelligent robot, but the human being can still fuck with it and get it to do what they didn't, don't want it to do. So I think it shows more in this essence. There's just people, we have a lot of trolls, I think. And speaking of trolls, I watched the movie Trolls, Trolls 2 last night, and if you like campy, B-flick horror films, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, let me ask you this question. Let me throw it over to Fern first. If I threaten this bot, if I threaten Tay the Twitter bot, and I say, listen, I'm a fucking terrorist, I'm going to blow you up, I'm going to find out where you live, and I'm going to rape and kill you, can I be held to some kind of criminal liability for threatening a non-sentient being? Oh, wow. Well, I guess you would have to first determine if AI is considered 
um, a being? Like, is it just considered software, or is it considered an actual entity of in of itself? And this, I know this is kind of an experimental thing. It actually kind of reminds me of the whole American Idol thing when they were voting for Taylor Hicks, Taylor Hicks I think his name was, the dude with the gray hair. And they're doing it specifically to skew the contest, not because they thought that he was the best person, but just because they wanted to control the outcome. And that's what this comes down to is control. Yeah. People want to have that control. So a threat to a a piece of software, of course, I don't think that you should be held liable. I mean, it's no worse than, you know, throwing horrible insults and derogatory terms, you know, threatening to kill it. I mean, it's it's a piece of software. I don't see how that would be a, a viable um, charge that would even stick. I, I don't the, legally know way, how you could make that work. When I was young and very, like, you know, teenage angst, not even teenage, mid-20 angst, and I was kind of an asshole, I remember when I first got into chat rooms and I found out, like, what a bot was. Like, I found out what these little porn bot things were. When I first got in those chat rooms and um, somebody would write me on there and it would be like, oh, you're so cute. And I would write back, like, the most heinous stuff. They're like, what do you like to do? I like to kill people like you and throw their bodies in dumpsters. Oh, you're so funny. Yeah, well, I'd be funny when I put a bullet through your head. And just say, like, the most horrible stuff, like, you gross slut, I'm going to kill you tonight. Oh, great, can we meet up? And just the freedom of being able to say whatever I want, even though I know the thing at the other end is a bot, just being able to say, like, the most outrageous, crazy thing to me, there was a little bit of freedom in that, right? The way some, you of can my best, that. some of my best sex were with Yahoo chatbots. But I'm just saying. I mean, maybe there's some of you talking previously, just so you know that, that we had a We've had a connection even before we start talking again. So, I mean, some of my best sex ever was with this one I remember. Oh, wait, oh, never mind, off topic. But, yeah, it's funny because the U.K. came out with this new top-of-the-line Arctic research vessel, and they had a poll to name the new ship. And a majority of the country latched on to calling it Bodie McBoatface. And I think it was like 200,000 to like 1,000 mm-hmm. of, of, of the people who voted wanted to call this boat Bodie McBoatface. And that's why I think it's just with the I don't think it's just I don't think we're that heinous and that nasty, but it is just to say, hey look, you got this technology, but my third grade uh, IQ or my third grade sense of humor can defeat your AI. I think it's just people trolling and having fun and, you know, giving it the most possible. Is it an inherent American condition where we just love to rebel and tear down systems? And this is a new system, like you said, and we're saying, hey, look, you can put this AI on us, and we know where this eventually wants to go, but we're going to make a mockery of it. And that, is that what yes. the true American spirit is, is making a mockery of systems that are there that you know will eventually replace us, right? Yes, and that's what we were founded on. We were founded on – of fighting the system. I mean, that's basically, you know, what our history is. And I think it, it, we started it, but I think other countries too, like a lot of people, I have a few friends in the UK and stuff, and they, they respect that we stood up to the queen because they still actually have the queen. And she doesn't have any power, but she still is a great landowner. She does have certain functions. And they respect the fact we have that do-it-yourself, go-get-em attitude. We fight, supposedly fight the man and, and resist and all this stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's part of our nature, us as Americans. It's part of us to fight back right. against the system, even if it's, even if it's, if it's, if it's troll warfare. We, we have to find a way to do it. 
Well, we've got a call coming in. Let me just kind of make a side note. We were going to talk about James Meyer, who got arrested 14 years ago. He rented Freddie Got Fingered on VHS. He got arrested. He had an outstanding warrant. What first is incredible is he hasn't been pulled over in 14 years. Who goes 14 years yeah. driving and doesn't get pulled over? But he got pulled over, and they took him into custody, and it's an incredible story. He was supposed to call in today, but he wasn't able to. Um, he needed to call in with his lawyer, and he had to go work. He said he could call in next week. I had told him to wait till after the trial, but since we didn't get to it today, I think I'm going to ask him if he can if he can call in next week like he suggested. So we may have him on next week, but that's why we're not covering that story today. Um, but let me go ahead and get Al in here. And he wants to talk about the Twitter bot. Al, thanks so much for calling the show. Uh, yeah, I heard you guys talking about bots. Now, I uh, do a lot of Facebooking, uh, Twitter, and YouTube uh, messaging. Uh, you know, I do it constantly every day. So I, uh, I, I seen these bots, and I kind of, like, have a hard feeling uh, because I know about paid online manipulation, and you know, right. paid online propaganda, and uh, you know, and you know, I, I heard about Russia doing it too, and you know, some, you know, uh, some other country getting caught doing it. And uh, I mean, if you go to the stuff that works by the uh, stuff they don't want you to know uh, program that uh, broadcasts on YouTube, uh, they talk about um, the the meat puppets, soft puppets, and the uh, bots. When they and the word when they mention uh, soft puppets are like the dictators themselves that you know rule over a country and want to spread words about themselves how good they are blah 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 and then meat puppets are paid people that spread propaganda uh, and you know like how good the dictator is or whatever or the president or whatever or this country or um, you know this place uh, and. You know, I see very often uh, when I post on YouTube, sometimes I get uh, uh, messages right back, and it's it seems very general. Like uh, one time I even saw this message, and it was the same one that I seen before a couple months before. So I was like, this has got to be a bot. But this, this is very concerning to me, though. It is scary, and I'll give you a good example. Yeah. Let's get this out real quick, Dwayne. I started watching this new show. What's it called, D? Like Carter and Hep? Hep and Carter. It's on Sundance Channel. Oh, yeah. Uh, Leonard and Hap. Hap and Leonard, that's it. Hap and Leonard. And I just started watching yeah. it on demand through um, Comcast. Never touched it before. Saw an ad for it. Watched it. Watched two episodes. Came back to my computer, and on my fucking Facebook was, I'll click here if you want to know more information about Leonard and Hap in the little sidebar. And I was like, son of a bitch, I just watched that show. I come back to Facebook, and every day since then, I have ads to click on here for extra content for Hap and Leonard. Ow, that's kind of terrifying, right, that they can track me from my living room watching something on the man. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, uh, Facebook has uh, a facial recognition I've seen it, like, uh, with my friends' uh, uh, pictures, uh, on my pictures, and it already has, like, hey, do you do you want to recognize your friend in this picture? And it already has a name, and it already knows who this person is. Like, wow, this, like, you know, facial recognition is so powerful, you know, uh, you know, on the Internet. And, you know, you voice recognition. If you go online and uh, look at this uh, new technology, if uh, I mean, you type in YouTube face-to-face, uh, um, 
and graphics where they actually show that you can act, they can actually, uh, um, a person actually kind of moves his face around and, and the, uh, the, the 3D, the full 3D image also does the same thing, but it, it's made to look exactly, uh, the CGI is made to look exactly uh, like, the per, uh, like a different person. So uh, when you click face-to-face conversations, they, they've done it with uh, a face of Barack Obama and one of Donald Trump where they actually uh, make it look like Donald Trump's actually talking. And it's like, it's scary that you can be watching TV and maybe it's not the real Donald Trump on television. And it's, uh, you know, face-to-face technology. So, Dwayne, I mean, you're kind of in the camp that Zuckerberg and Bill Gates, like these guys are manipulating social media, and to an extent they're going to get ready to call the herd because we're overpopulated. Where are you falling on what everything that Al is saying? Are you falling in the same camp, or is it not con- is it not conspiracy enough, or is he being too generous? Oh, what no. do you think about this? He, he, he's 100% right. I, in fact, I subscribe to the page that he, ha- he mentioned, uh, things they don't want you to know, and other pages like that. Yeah, and they they do use this as propaganda, and they do have our own government has sections of the Air Force and the Army that just sit behind computers and refuse or put out, especially during the Iraq War when they were calling for it. There would be people out there putting uh, intel uh, officers typing, oh, well, oh, I'm Bob Smith from such and such, and I know for a fact that I, I, Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction, blah, blah, blah. And he do that to sway public opinion. China, North Korea, Russia, they all do it too. They have these to push propaganda. They, it's the new Goebbels. It's basically what Goebbels yes. is doing in Nazi Germany. They're doing it now with, with army, uh, uh, enlisted army members and officers sitting behind computer screens, but they're doing it behind the scenes not out front saying Jew then bad, they're just coming out and saying, hey, this is how you're supposed to think. And, they're, they're doing it and that's the why I can't understand why you're so in the camp of Putin, why you always are giving Putin props, because that seems like the least American thing you can do. Yeah, but yeah. Least, you he he cares about his country. Real his life politics. I'm sorry, go ahead, Dwayne, and then you can chime in, Al. I can't hear you when you're both talking over you. The other reason I respect Putin is because he loves his country and will do anything for Russia first. Now, I wish you were our president to say, hey, look, I'm going to do anything for America first. That's the only way, reason why I respect it, because to him, Russia comes first. That's, that's why, that's that, the reason I support him at the all. The oligarchy comes first, not the people. Go ahead, Al. Uh, yeah, uh, Microsoft has a real uh, holographic uh, look like. So they, they developed a technology, uh, they, they have holographs, so it actually looks exactly like the person's there, and you use your VR goggles to see, and it looks like a real person that's like really next to you, but it, when he, it's just a holograph. And it, it's really, you know, I mean, technology, but if you go back, uh, what I was talking about, if you want to look it up, I mean, it's totally realistic. Uh, when you go on YouTube, cl- uh, type in face-to-face, real-time face capture of recognition of RGB videos. They're RGB videos by CVD, I mean, CVPR. Uh, so, yeah, definitely uh, look that up. It's, it's really... Well, it's, well, casinos use that now. They actually use face recognition. If they see somebody who's a blackjack number, or card counter or somebody who's won too much in the past, their actual uh, um, surveillance cameras can do facial recognition, pick them out of a crowd out of 1,000 people, 
alert security and say, hey, this is a guy, and will flash the screen, have the guy bring up his whole profile, and they can eject him from the casino because he might have counted cards five years ago. They have they, they all have all that now. Okay, we've only got a couple minutes left before Kettle of Fish. Let me let Fern get in here. Fern, what do you think? I mean, it, to me, this is a little bit too far on the shadow government conspiracy theory side. But, I mean, I understand what they're saying, but I'm not completely in that camp. I'm probably less in that camp than anybody here on the panel. But what do you think, Fern? Oh, I'm terrified. I mean, I'm listening to this, and I'm just like, you know, I mean, I I can't help but give it some credence, you know. Uh, The thought is is terrifying, especially when you talk about going to watch a TV show and it's up on your Facebook. I mean – I understand technology, and we evolve, and societally, you know, everything everything moves at a not the government. I don't see it as a nefarious government plot. I see it as the corporations want to wring as much money, like I'm an old sponge, just wring as much money out of me as possible. So, of course, they're going to do product placement. Of course, they're going to blow up my feed with things they think I'm going to be interested in. This is what corporations do. Corporations make money Period. Not makes money and then helps the community. Not makes money and worries about my job. They're there to make money, period. So I don't see this as a nefarious government plot to put chips in our head. I see this as corporations doing what corporations do, and they're manipulating the current technology to do that. But if the technology's there, how long until the government takes that technology to use it for nefarious purposes? Well, and that's the thing. When, when does the money become better to control the people? And, yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick. I do agree with you, but I, I can definitely see where that road can lead down, lead to a very scary place. And it, it is frightening. And, you know, I can only hope that, you know, this doesn't come to fruition and that it is not a reality at some point in time. But I, I do agree with you. I think I think corporate greed does have a lot to do with it, but I also agree that this is this is scary technology and it is viable technology for the government to use in a very very bad way so it's absolutely frightening like they're having this fight right now with with apple because there are controls in place and if there wasn't controls in place you wouldn't hear about the fight with apple because they would just usurp the technology through whatever nefarious sources they had to do, whether it's kill the heads of Apple or manipulate, you know, hand them uh, manila envelopes with them having affairs on their wives or whatever they had to do. The reason we see it in the they public uh, they, broke, because, they got hackers. They got hackers to break the phone. Just yeah. uh, the other week, they, they dropped the lawsuit against Apple. They got hackers, private hackers, maybe ex-Apple employees, to break the code. They already have it. Yeah, but and it was now a law problem, enforcement right? across you the country is suing. Now, law enforcement across the country is suing the federal government to have the software that they use to break Apple's code. So that's yeah. already out there. They dropped the any. I'm just saying it's not as nefarious as, as you would portray it. Oh, Al, we've got yeah, yeah. Well, it's online. Uh, we got one minute, Al. We got a kettle of fish. I want to thank you for calling in today, though. Yeah, well, I want to mention real quick. I mean, at the same time that it's on- online uh, surveillance increases, at uh, the same time that cybercrime has increased as well. Yep. All right, yep. fair enough. This is a topic for another day. Thank you, Al. All righty, we got about a minute left, like I said. Um, I mean, look, I'm not somebody who is going to sit here and say that nothing ever shady goes on ever and make a blanket statement like that. What I'm saying is when you take it to a level – where, once again, I'll use the metaphor I've used before. If you have a distrust and you and your two friends are sitting on the back porch, it's like, hey, it's an easy 
we're going to have an eclipse soon. And it's like, okay, well, wear these glasses because they'll protect you from the eclipse. There's a difference between saying I don't trust the government when it says these glasses will protect my eyes and not looking. And there's a difference between saying I'm going to stare right into the eclipse without these glasses in defiance and going fucking blind. Well, one is delusion and one is skepticism. And I think we, a lot of us have crossed over into the world of delusion. Yes, no? You're maybe too so. trusting. You're too trusting. Hey, I trust you in a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't. So, yes, I am but too I, trusting. But I've always shown that I'm trustworthy when it comes to that with you. To my friends, I am loyal to the end. I can't argue with that. All right, so we've got Jenny coming on here in just a second and Kettle of Fitch. We've got 10 seconds left, so everybody say their goodbyes Bye. for ignorance equation. Bye, guys. Dwayne, yeah. ride my bike. Okay, hang Bye-bye. tight, on, Dwayne. I guess Dwayne's checking okay. out of here. And we are starting Kettle of Fish now! This week on Kettle of Fish, actress Jenny Jaffe stops by to talk about pandas, problems, and punk rock. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Master Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 20-minute comedy money shot after the two hours of political foreplay. Uh, we've got Fern with us, we've got Dee with us. Are you guys ready to get fishy? Woohoo! Fish noise! Yeah, I saw it's kind of fishy. Alrighty, so today, let me tell you a story. We had someone scheduled for today. They had to cancel last minute. It wasn't anything negative. They just had something come up. Um, I reached out to Jenny Jaffe last moment. I think it was like on Monday or Tuesday. I was like, hey, can you call in Sunday? She really saved our ass by calling in. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing a show today. I thought we were going to just be talking about her movie, her latest movie, SLC Punk 2. I had James and Jimmy on the music show talking about it. I kind of dug in, as I always do. And she has so much more going on than just this one thing. She has the project You Are Okay. Um, her website is intriguing, so amazing. She's a writer. She's an actress. She's, to a certain point, an activist. And I was very, very glad that I got her in here this Sunday to talk about a lot of different things. So are you guys ready for some Jenny Jaffe? Yes. Yes, Alrighty, we fair are. Enough. Jenny, what's up? Hey, man, that was such a nice introduction. Thank you. Yeah, you know, like I said in the introduction, I really thought we were just going to talk for a couple minutes about SLC Punk 2 and move on with our lives. And then I Googled you and went down the Jenny Jaffe rabbit hole, and I was just blown away by how much stuff you're involved in. And really, like, it always impresses me when somebody who can just kind of go out there, write, act, and live their lives to the fullest says, you know what, man, that's not enough. I want to do something. I want to give back. So let me go ahead and start with Project You Are Okay because I, I went on your website and then I linked on over to Project You Are Okay, and I was yeah. really, really blown away. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that for the fans? Yeah, sure. So um, I uh, started Project You Are Okay. It actually 
started in um, December of 2014, and then we launched officially April 17th of last year, so we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Um, but basically, the idea behind Project You Are Okay is um, the way well, the way it came about is that I had written an article for this website, Exo Jane, about my experience going through exposure therapy when I was in high school. Right. And I was really, I was really terrified to put it out there because, like, I've been a woman on the internet a long time. Like, I've heard every bad thing a person can hear about themselves. Um, and this was, like, the most personal thing I'd ever written. It wasn't something I really liked talking about um, because it's, you know, scary and really stigmatized in our world. Um, but when I when this article came out, I was really surprised when the response ended up being a lot of people saying, I had no idea, like, here's what I went through. And it kind of occurred to me that people were responding this way because there isn't, there just at that point didn't exist a sort of like first person mental illness destigmatization resource. And to me, that was the key component missing from the conversation because I think you can have as many experts as you want and, and for somebody going through it, and especially like a teenager going through it, it's not going to resonate as much as hearing somebody who's actually been there before talk about their own personal experience. You know, one thing that occurred to me when I'm looking at this, because I, like I said, I was fairly blown away, is how do you balance your passion for acting, for writing? I know you've written for MTV. I read, I actually went on and read the latest article that you wrote um, that you had posted on your Facebook. How do you pa- balance your passion for that, for your passion for helping these teenagers and people who have mental health problems? Like, does one bleed into the other, or how do you kind of sort this all out? Well, yeah, that's actually been uh, one of the big, like, themes in my life right now is figuring out, like, how I can keep Project You Are Okay running. And I've got this most amazing staff on the planet, and, like, this, it would never exist without them. Um, uh, but, like, figuring out how to keep this going while being able to go back and doing the thing that makes me the most happy, which is to be able to write and to act and um and yeah, there's only so many hours in a day, but I think that there's definitely a huge overlap. And I did these panels at Comic-Con talking about the role I think pop culture plays in destigmatization. Because I think that a huge component, the, the way we, we get our stereotypes about things from the media, and then unfortunately a lot of times the media chooses to portray those same stereotypes back at us. But I think what the role of media should be is to look critically at the stereotypes that exist and decide which ones they want to help perpetuate. And I think that this exists for, um, in terms of um, appearance and and um, race and gender and sexuality, and I think that there's just this huge role that pop culture, even like frothy uh, comedy and, and sitcoms, that kind of thing, choose to perpetuate. So I see them as being sort of intertwined, and um, yeah, and I, and I definitely hope I can sort of integrate the both of them while figuring out how to keep Project You're Okay going as I try and go back into into the comedy world full time. All right. Well, I don't want to travel too far down this road, but I do want to say this because you said something that struck me. One thing that really pisses me off, and I'm a person who's dealt with my own issues. I know we're here with Fern and Dee, and they've they've definitely have dealt with different issues in their life. And it really, really pisses me off when this idea like, hey, I've got a heart condition. And everybody's like, oh, well, he has a heart condition. How can we make your life easier? Like, do you need help up the steps? But if you have a mental disorder – 
it's like, oh, well, just think your way out of it. Just just get better. Yeah. Like, it's, but your brain, how is your brain different from your heart? I mean, I understand it's housing all this hardware of who you are, but it, you can't just think yourself out of it. I mean, there, there are techniques you can use, but you can't just snap your fingers and say, well, I don't have a heart condition anymore. Well, you can't just snap your fingers and be like, I'm not bipolar or I'm not depressed anymore, right? Right. Well, the thing is, like, mental illness is a physical illness. And even, um, even uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of mental illness is, like, inherently chemical and something you're born with. And then things like PTSD, which occur as a result of different situations you might find yourself in, um, is because you have a certain amount of, there's a lot of chemical interaction that comes along with that level of stress. And so it's, it's, there's nothing physically that you can do about it on your own a lot of the time. You need the work to um, retrain the way your brain is wired. Sometimes you need medication to, like, rebalance the chemicals in your brain. It's a physical illness. It's just not one you can see. And I think that people don't understand what they can't see a lot of the time. Um, yeah, uh, that's what absolutely they have true. So yeah, but it is it is frustrating because it is like when you ha- like when you're depressed, like nobody's coming over to like make sure you have like all your meals taken care of. But if you yeah, it was really sick, like people would. Fern, do you want to chime in on this? Because I know that you've had battles in and out with different health issues, mental health issues, and things like that. Correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know I would dare say that I still struggle with them some and. You know, I think what the thing I like about um, You're Okay is teenagers especially, they're struggling to come into their own. They're struggling to be their own person. They're struggling with hormones. They're struggling with social stigma. They're struggling with everything. And to have, you know, something like depression or OCD or anything like that on top of that, you know, not every teenager feels comfortable talking to their parents or, you know, to an adult. They're really trying to to gain their own ground. And this is a great outlet. Like I was looking at it today and I, I think about, where I was as a teenager and how I wish I had had, you know, something like this to really access and utilize and look at and say, okay, I'm not alone. There are other people out there because in, as a teenager, your, your mental grasp of what's going on sometimes is very fragmented and you are pulled in so many different directions that it's hard to really focus. And it's, it's a great thing that you're doing. I really admire it. I admire the organization. Um, I'll be sharing it on Facebook. I'll be sharing it everywhere because I, I, I'm a very passionate about this after looking at it today. It's, it's really a great thing. So oh, I applaud you. So and it, it really is a niche that needed to be filled. So it's a great, wonderful outlet. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, uh, like, one of the things was I'm really kind of creating the resource I think I wish I had had as a teenager. And, like, that's why I think I got into comedy in the way I did. Because the only people who were talking about the mental illnesses I was dealing with in a way that didn't terrify me were comedians. Like, and I could look at somebody like Maria Bamford or Sarah Silverman or Robin Williams and be like, oh, they got through it. Or they, you know... Um, they've had this too, and they've still done good things with their lives. So I, I'm not mm-hmm. lost cause. So does it particularly kind of hit you to the core when somebody like Robin Williams loses his battle with mental illness and kills himself? Or is it like, look, he got 65 Robin Williams years, so it was still, a, you know, his life was still a triumph. Like, do you look at I it mean, as a negative, like a total negative, a total loss, or is there something positive that can be taken from his life? Well, I certainly think if, you know, I don't, I think uh, 
all things are complicated. The Project You're Okay existing uh, is, you know, partially, I think, um, because of that incident and the way it rocked the comedy world and the way it really brought a lot of people forward talking about what they were going through. Um, because I think what it really did is it highlighted the fact that it doesn't matter who you are or how much it seems you haven't made, um, it can mental illness can affect everyone. And I think a lot of yeah. people have this idea that if you get over whatever your summit is, and for people in comedy, it's you know to have a career like like Robin Williams, and um, and I think people have this idea like if you have enough of those material things, you do have enough like um, fame or money or whatever, you'll be happy. And I think the really important thing that I hope people took away from it is, like, you never know what anybody's going through, and you can never look at somebody else's life and and um, and assume that if you had it, you'd be happy. I think that you have to um, realize everybody's going through something and, and everybody's um, got a difficult road to climb because life is hard. And, yeah, I couldn't uh, agree it, more. It, yeah, and it's not about sort of like the physical markers of success. It's about the inner journey. And that sounds very like hippie-ish, but it, I think it's really true. Well, we did a whole show on Robin Williams, and my co-host, who dipped out of here before Kettle of Fish today, he's very kind of strided right wing, and he was actually mad at the attention Robin Williams was getting after his suicide. And he's like, this guy has it made. It pisses me off when these actors had the whole world handed to him, and they still kill themselves. And I was like, you've got to stop trying to measure the world by your yardstick. You can't measure somebody else's pain. You don't know what this guy has been through. You don't live his life. And I feel like there's a real disconnect with a lot of people, and they want to kind of measure their circumstance and project it onto mm-hmm. other people when they don't know, right? Right, and I, it's, it's not a, you know, mental illness doesn't know any boundaries, and it's, you know, it affects people um, statistically, actually, but it's kind of this interesting bell curve where a lot of suicides occur among, like, the very, very successful, wealthy, and powerful, and, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure that occurs there, and, like, if you're not happy, you start being like, well, why am I not happy? And then it occurs for people who live in poverty because the effects of living in poverty mirror the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder and you don't have the access that you need to mental health care. So it just is a, it's an issue that affects everybody. And uh, I really think it's, it's one that I hope um, becomes, you know, addressed on, on bigger and bigger scales because until we start thinking about it as being um, uh, sort of um, the same as uh, physical illness, we're not going to be getting, um, the vast majority of people the care that they need, and it is healthcare. It's a, in, in, it's a hard mm-hmm. enough struggle to get people in this country healthcare. Um, it's you know getting people readily available mental health care is, is I really think the next big healthcare challenge. Yeah, and I mean, like I'm in the camp with Fern. I definitely I admire what you do. I watched a YouTube video about your own experiences, and I thought it was really brave. So props to you on that. And oh, as I'm watching you. this, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's inspiring to see young people because I'm an old man in his 40s. It's inspiring <laughs> to see young people go out there and actually mobilize and do something. And one thing that struck me watching the video, just the honesty of it is, when are you doing a TED Talk? Because I feel like that's got to uh, be nice, right? I would love to do a TED Talk. I've, uh, I, 
I've uh, sort of been try- I've been trying to make that happen. I think uh, I love doing Comic Con so much. I love doing like the live sort of talks because you can see the immediate impact that it can have. And I think that it's the impact of telling your own story as opposed to trying to tell a sort of universal story, you know, making the personal universal. And that's sort of what comedy is. So it's really, it's very much the same thing. It's just being able to to talk about something really personal, um, knowing that nothing is a unique experience in in this entire world. There's always somebody out there who can relate. Or if they can't relate exactly to that, to something similar and... Yeah, I love to do a TED talk though. That's definitely yeah. uh, something I'd love to do. And I also and I also definitely think hard that this is a, what? I said you're definitely hardwired for it from watching that video. Oh, thank you. I'm also just a big old hand, like any stage time I can get I'll I'm <laughs> in. Um I think I think one thing that's cool because you mentioned sort of young people mobilizing, I think this generation coming up is like a lot more tuned in a lot savvier than people think because it's just that they're mobilizing in ways that aren't as visible. And, like, um, I've been really impressed with, like, the teen response. I met, like, so many teens who are doing their own work, and they're saying, you know, the adults in my community don't see this part of the problem. Or, um, well, nobody knows what's going on because this is happening in, like, only certain parts of, like, Reddit or Tumblr or whatever, and that's not where sort of the quote-unquote grown-ups are. So it's interesting yeah. to see, like, the sort of little groundswell movements. I mean, these are all kids who have been plugged into the whole world their whole lives. I think they call bullshit on things a lot faster, which is very cool. Yeah, and, I mean, they're not they're not always painted that way, and I don't want to get into a big political discussion. So let's segue over to Credible Movie. I'm a big fan of the SLC Punk series. and. Oh, Yes, incredible. I'm watching what you're doing, and of course, Emo Shelley has gotten a lot of positive comments out there <laughs> in the internet universe when I'm doing my research on this. How much of your own battles with depression kind of came into how you were going to play Emo Shelley? Did any of that come in? Did that help create the character? What was that process? Well, I was definitely an emo kid. Uh in, I mean, I was in, like, high school in 2004, so, like, it was a big time for, like, the emo, like, hot topic uh, movement, I guess, or scene, um, and uh, I had a playlist, because, like, so in every scene, so every morning I'd go in, um, I'd get my, like, hair and makeup, and then I'd have to basically ruin my makeup the same way I did every single day, because um, the movie all takes place in one day, so everything had to look really similar um and uh i had a playlist of songs that i used to cry to in my car and uh and they were all just like songs it was like dashboard confessional and my chemical romance and um trying to think who else was like on that list i have it on my phone still but it was just like i'd sit in my i'd sit in um either in my room or in um when we were shooting in the limo, I would, like, sit in the limo and just, like, try, like get myself to cry and be like, okay, you're 16, you're, like, depressed, you're, um, you know, for a lot of my teen years, I was pretty suicidal. And it was, like, it was like I had to go be funny, but I had to make myself cry convincingly first to get my makeup to do what I needed it to do. So it definitely, like, came into play. 
Is this a professional thing, or do you feel exposed when you do something like that? Because I feel like I would be very vulnerable, like kind of tapping into all that and then taking it out and putting it on the screen. Or is that the, where the best acting comes from? I think I'm, I mean, for me, like, comedy is at its funniest when you're just going, you're playing it as real as humanly possible, being kind of, you got to just, like, learn to be sort of shameless. And I think that's sort of where it, where it comes from is like I know that the more real and and difficult this is for me, the funnier it's going to come out. And I just have to like care about the laugh more than I care about my. Um, I have to, I, yeah, I guess I have to care about the laugh more than I have to care about my uh, my Going own well being in that circumstance. Then, then guarding your privacy, right? You have to care about the last more than your own personal privacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And unfortunately, I think that that's definitely the case. And that's one of the places that I think comedians can get into trouble is is this idea of like the I'm the sadder I am, the funnier I am. And then I think comedians like don't take care of their own, you know, mental health because they're worried they won't be funny, but. To me, it's like the more depressed I've been, the less I've been able to create things or write or perform. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, that's a that's a fallacy, but you just have to be able to tap into those places in yourself. Even if you're, like, in a good place in your life, you have to, like, be able to tap into the stuff that isn't so easy. Well, you know, I'm glad I got you on because I had Jimmy and James on. Of course, they're veterans of SLC Punk, but you're one of the new kids coming into this. Yeah. Uh, were you a big fan that. of the first movie, or did you just was it not on your radar until you got the part? What was that? Like, what well, was going on with I, that? Did you actually know what it was before you got into it, or or did you even have to audition? How did this even come about? Yeah, I knew about I knew about the movie because I knew James. This is like a super weird story, but I so I knew James because I wrote a screenplay in college that this production company had tasked him to direct, and it was going to be like his first movie in a, a really long time. I, I don't remember how long it was going to be like his directorial return. And the um, movie sort of went into development hell, but James and I stayed friends, and we stayed. Um, in touch, and I stayed in touch with Lisa, his sister, who was the producer and editor, um, as well. And uh, when they were casting the movie, I guess Shelley was a part they were having difficulty casting, and um, and James uh, reached out to me and said, "Do you want to take a look at the script? Do you want to? What do you think?" And uh, I read it, and I read the part, and I was like, "This looks really fun," and um, Basically, I the next thing I knew, I was signing the papers and making my arrangements out to Salt Lake City. So I knew wow. about yeah, so it was pretty crazy. I knew about the movie because of um, because I had worked with James before. So I definitely had seen it. I thought it was um, really cool, and it was intimidating to like come into something that had that much history and culture and. Um, and so, such like a dedicated fan base because I was like, well, what if they don't like the newbies? So does that put the pressure on you? Do you go into it saying, I've got to try to do this in a way that's going to stay true to the vibe of the first one? Or do you come in and say, I'm going to be more loyal to this character and just kind of let the chips fall where they may? Uh, that's, I think probably it was like a little bit of both because, I mean, I think the thing about the first one is all the characters are – they're very, like, 
real in that they're definitely like people who exist and who James knows or knew. Um, so even though Shelly is like a really big character, I knew that she was somebody who I had definitely met and who I assume James was basing off people that he met. So um, I think I just approached it like I'm going to do a big character because that's sort of all these characters are pretty big characters, but it's going to be big in the way that all emo kids just go too big. Um, and all their reactions are sort of outsized. And, um, you know, with Shelly, one of the things was, that was fun on set was going figuring out how Mormon she was. She wasn't yeah. shut out as Mormon as she got in the movie. I have a lot of Mormon family, so it started getting a little more Mormon. Um, and, you know, coming up with just fun things about her backstory and the fact that, like, she, you know, can't dye her hair because her parents will get mad. And, um, yeah, it was it was kind of cool playing around with um, really specific things about the character and definitely, like, getting into the costume. Like, I had this hoodie that I wore, and, like, the second I got sort of, like, the hoodie and the boots and everything on, like, I found myself getting less confident as a human. And I was like, that's great because Shelly is, like, hiding in her hoodie and hopelessly in love with somebody who's not going to pay attention to her. Like, I think I think that we're finding who she is. Yeah, and I mean, I really dug it. And you, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the air. You're on the air because I think this. You are my favorite new character in SLC Punk 2. And as I'm doing my research and I'm going through, and actually even before that, when I was promoting the episode with James and Jimmy on our music show, I went to a bunch of YouTube review channels, and I went to a bunch of bulletin boards and threads talking about it, and every single person said the same thing. Emo Shelley is our favorite character, and I thought it was cool that you even chimed in on this YouTube video I was watching. This review, <laughs> like, thanks so much. I was like, wow, man, she's really down to earth. I've got to reach out to her. Well, sent it to me, and I was like so stoked because I, you know, that has been obviously something I was really nervous about, and it was my first feature. So I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to do with like a feature actor, and I, yeah, I was really thrilled. Yeah, and people clung on to it. So I guess what I want to ask is like, why do you think your character among the well, there was probably what five, six new characters? Why do you think your character resonated with people? To the degree it did, where everywhere I'm going, I'm seeing everybody's like, "Yeah, emo Shelly, I'm down with emo <laughs> Shelly." That's let's but like, how do you kind of process that? Um, I think it's probably because like everybody either either has a past as like a shameful emo past, or they knew they like knew that girl in high school, somebody who was like trying to be sort of hardcore, but was you know kind of a you know kind of a scared of getting in trouble. Um, right. And, you know, also, like, she is very earnest, and she's um, got this unrequited crush, and, you know, I think that's something everybody can relate to. Um, it's sort of like trying to be cool, but, you know, being in sort of the one-down position with this this cooler dude, and, um, uh, and I got a lot of, like, really fun material and really fun lines, and I think that's probably a big reason too is just because I, I, you know, I got lucky. I got to do sort of the comic relief in this movie that gets pretty intense um, at various parts. And, and I, and I, and you know, obviously I got to say like, I love the other new characters so much. And um, Hannah who plays Penny has become like one of my best friends. So I've got to shout her out. And, um, 
I mean, all the characters are great, so I'm not trying to put one in front of the other. Just from my experience of researching this and seeing how people are reacting, it just seems like people really reacted in a positive way to Emo Shelley. Thank you so much for your, yeah, yeah, it's been cool to to see that. I was was definitely nervous when it came out um, about how that reaction was going to be because, you know, people, it's a movie that's, uh, SLT Punk's a movie that's meant a lot to a lot of people, and I think people feel kind of protective over it as a franchise because um, it was a big part of a lot of people's um, self-discovery, and, and, and uh, yeah, I get that protectiveness. Yeah, and, I mean, that was my tribe. That was me growing up. I mean, when I grew up in the 90s, I had a punk band. And when I first – and this is this is something I said on the other show with James, and this is a true story. Whenever I would date a girl after that movie came out on VHS, I would, like, after the first or second date, I'd take her back to my place and play the movie. And if she had a negative reaction to SLC Punk, <laughs> I'd be like, well, this isn't going to work out. Because, yeah. like, so much of my lifestyle is kind of like what's going on in this movie. And um, that's a big thing that happened was, like, SLC Punk did resonate. And actually, my co-host Odell and my producer D liked the second movie. I liked the first movie better. No, not taking anything away from the second movie. Well, but it's right. like the first Star Wars. I mean, it just... Yeah, it's, it's encoded. Yeah, it's encoded on my DNA. But there's actually people out there, my producer and my co-host, like the second movie better. So, I mean, wow. you know, that is making strides, and it is telling a new story, but staying true to the consistency of the SLC Punk franchise. So I do commend it for that. I think James did a hell of a job on it. I think everybody involved, it did not disappoint. And you're always scared, right? Because, you know, when Arrested Development came to Netflix, I was stoked, and now I can't even watch Arrested Development because the fourth season on Netflix was horrible. So oh, my it's God. Like, I tried to I tried to rewatch it because I was like, uh, there must have been something I missed. I love the first three seasons. I watched the first three seasons probably ten times through. I love it's my it's yeah, probably like my favorite show ever. And I was like, there must have been something I missed. I went back and tried to watch the fourth season. And I was like, I just can't. It's just it's yeah, just I didn't not, that yeah. Happen with SLC Punk, and I was apprehensive, and I played it one. I played both movies. Well, I played the. I played part two, Punk's Dead, first. Then I went back and watched part one and part two after it. And it just, I think everything was seamless and flowed really well, and it told the story that needed to be told. So as a fan, I am totally happy with the finished product of, you know, the franchise and of SLC Punk 2. And I hope there's going to be a three. I hope so, too. I, I uh, you know, when we were at the premiere, I was pitching James pretty hard. Like, I, I'm doing, I will do an Emo Shelley solo movie. If you if you want to do it, um, I like um, I, w- I went to the, so I went to the premiere in Salt Lake, and it was all fans, and I definitely was terrified. Like if they don't like it, there's going to be a riot. Like this is like this is a yeah, like, it means that much a, to people. This is a really important movie. Like people are gonna um, have a strong reaction, strong opinion if they don't like it, and, I, and instead it was like most warm reception and my parents were there and got to see it and like that was really cool so alright um, we've yeah. got to get out of here but I want to yeah. end on a note because I know you've got a love of pandas and yes. I put some panda facts and I just kind of wanted it. to put you on the spot and quiz you here the Chinese oh, cool. fable do you know why pandas have black around their eyes do you know this story I don't is it because they were wearing mascara and it ran 
<laughs> no, kind of close. Okay, so here here is the folklore in China, and in China they actually venerate pandas. They they think pandas are almost a holy thing in China. So in China, there the folklore is there was this shepherd, this female shepherd, a shepherdness is what they say in the folklore. The shepherdess is out doing her thing. There's she comes across a baby panda, you know, playing with the panda. A leopard comes out to kill the panda. And the shepherd jumps in front of the panda and dies. I don't know why the the leopard didn't try to kill the baby panda afterwards. Maybe it ran away, whatever. But all the pandas had a funeral for the shepherd. And as customary in China, they put ash armbands around their arms and on their hands. And as they were crying and rubbing their eyes, the black ash on their white fur created the black rings around their eyes. And that's why pandas have black rings around their eyes, according to China folklore. I had no idea. That's so lovely. Yeah, I thought you'd enjoy that if you didn't. I didn't know that. That's that's so sweet. That makes my whole day. Oh, man. The link, if I can um, find it again, where I read it, because it has, like, the whole story. It's only a couple paragraphs, but it's really an awesome story of why yeah, I mean, once again, China thinks that another fact is that panda represents the yin and the yang because of the black on the white. So they definitely oh, see yeah. the panda as an animal. Um, just mm-hmm. some more facts that I found. I found a list of like 100 panda facts. I pulled out my favorites. Um, pandas have been a symbol of peace in China for hundreds of years. Um, warring tribes in China would raise a flag with a picture of a panda on it to stop a battle or call a truce. So how we wave the white flag here, they actually wave a flag with a panda on it. Well, that's so much that. better. Yeah, exactly. Everybody stops and goes, that's so cute. We can't fight with something that cute. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to kill somebody when they're they're holding like a cute, cuddly panda flag, right? You're not going to blow yeah. them. Like. Um, some more panda facts here. i got a couple more. Pandas have lived on Earth for two to three million years. I don't know if you knew that. Wow. Not. Wow. Um, a pair of breeding pandas need more than 11 square miles of land in order to breed. I don't know how freaky these pandas are getting, but they need 11 <laughs> miles to get it on. Yeah, what are they doing? I didn't think that – I mean, I I know it's hard enough to get them to, to mate. Is it because they have to, like, train for a marathon first? I, I don't know what kind of panda sex is going on, but if they need 11 square miles – and most of us just need, I don't know, a couch or a bed. Yeah, pandas <laughs> are doing something car, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, panda fur. This is sad, but it's a fact. It's worth between 60000 and and 100000 on the illegal panda market. So there's oh another little fact. Yeah. Um, the panda spends 14 to 16 hours a day eating bamboo. So they spend a majority of their waking hours actually eating bamboo. That, uh, yeah, that's because uh, yeah, they don't digest very well, and all the bamboo that they need to be eating is being deforested. So they're, like, they're really, like, they're not very well adapted. They're not well evolved as a, as a species. No, and another interesting fact on that note, a panda's throat has a special lining in it that protects it from bamboo split, uh, splinters. So this is why they can eat so much bamboo and they don't have to worry about it getting caught in their throat. They actually have a lining that's genetically, you know, formatted so they can eat so much bamboo without that kind of problem. Oh, I didn't know that. That's that's awesome. And the last panda fact, 
On average, a panda eats 25 to 30 pounds of bamboo in, a, in one day. In the spring, and, a, and in the spring, a panda may eat 100 pounds a day. So these cats oh, are crap. eating 16 hours a day, 100 pounds a day. Did you know these panda facts? I only knew one. I didn't know the rest of them. Thank you. That this is this is a this is I learned something today. Well, that we're here to educate on kettle of fish as well <laughs> as entertain. Um, Fern, do you have anything you want to add? I know I kind of been running all over this interview here. No, that's okay. I, I'm just trying to put all the panda facts together, and I guess it makes sense that if I were eating, you know, hundreds a uh, hundred pounds of, of sticks during a day, that it probably would take me about 16 hours to chew it all. But they, <laughs> they all kind of come together really nicely. I like that. And I probably yeah, need a wonder. lot of room for for having sex. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They're they're clear cutting. Yeah. Are we going to like evolve to a point like in thirty or forty years where we're going to be able to eat just um, White Castle sliders for sixteen hours straight and have a special lining in our stomach where we're not going to start vomiting from it? Is that the oh, next step to evolution? Oh God, I hope not, but I w- kind of wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> All sure. right. It- been a joy speaking with you today, Jenny Jaffe. Please tell everybody where they can go watch SLC Punk 2. I know you're on multiple platforms. Where they can find You Are Okay, Project You Are Okay. Where they can find all things Jenny Jaffe. Give us all the info. Oh, you got it. Okay, so uh, SLC Punk 2 is available on um, streaming on Amazon. Uh, and on iTunes, and it's also available on DVD, and you can order the DVD online. I think they sold out of the first print. Um, I don't even have one, actually, but um, I think you can pre-order them again. It's um, also on Google Play is where I watched oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. They're also doing screenings throughout the country still, and if you check out the SLC Punk 2 Facebook page, they're always sort of updating those events. And you can find me on uh, Twitter at Jenny Jaffe. I'm Jenny Jaffe on Facebook. Uh, go like my page. And you can also find me uh, at thejennyjaffe.com. And for Project You Are Okay, it's www.projectyouareok.org. The letters you are okay. And you can also find us at Project You Are Okay on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, everything. And we have an amazing social media manager who is always checking, always responding. Um, so, yeah, go and uh, go and check it out. All righty, Jenny. I want to thank you so much for calling in today. But more importantly, I want to thank you for what you do. If nobody has ever, like, pulled you aside mm-hmm. and said, thank you for this great work you're doing with Project URK, I want to thank you because, like Fern said, you're filling a need out there, and I love to see young people mobilizing and doing positive things in a world that has gone kind of down to Donald Trump hate hole. Like, I'm glad to see there's people out there combating that. So you are a hero of mine today. Oh, thank you so much for saying so. Yeah, I, I have to believe the best in humanity. I have to believe in a world where Trump does not become president, where we will uh and and if he does, the fight will just continue. I, th- I yeah. think that things are mostly good, and people are mostly people mostly want to just like have fun and and be cool to each other. And then I think that uh, you know, there's a lot of things that get in the way of that. But I I think that you know, I'm I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful for humanity. 
Well, for the sake of all our children, I hope you're right. All righty, Jenny, <laughs> we got to get out of here. We ran way over. Thank you so much oh, for sorry. coming in. We'll be in Thank touch, you so guys. Much for having me, yeah. No problem at all. We'll be back next week with actor Sean Whalen, and we'll catch you guys next week on Kettle of Fish. Bye, guys. Say bye, bye. Fern. Bye-bye.